This podcast is brought to you by PC component retailer and boutique builder Silver Knight PCs. Use offer code Broken Silicon to get six percent off everything on their website. And it is also brought to you by Healthy and Delicious Vite Ramen. And it is also also brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com that gets you great deals on Windows keys and other products. You can find links in the description and the proper offer codes for all of these sponsors, and we'll talk about them later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I'm joined by somebody that, uh, once again, it's just, it's his third time coming on. You're, you're quickly becoming a fan favorite. And actually, I have to say, I have a couple other guests I was throwing around having on this week, and then someone in the Moore's Laws Dead Discord said, you know, you guys seem really tired at the end of the last podcast, which was like a three-hour episode covering <laughs> everything over the past month because we were on vacation. And Sapphire Rapids was near the end. And he said, your your takes on Sapphire Rapids didn't seem wrong, but they seemed very surface level. I wish you could have someone on like Wendell to get into it in a little more depth. And I just said, done. And <laughs> here you are. So please introduce yourself. Hello, I'm your friendly neighborhood computer janitor. I don't know. I, I'm I, I, I'm just some random internet bozo. I don't have any special insight. I make silly YouTube videos and I work on software and sort of, you know, a plumbing type things, software infrastructure. I find some of it really interesting. I write tutorials. I work on Linux. Uh, that's about it. I don't know what to tell you. Sapphire yeah. Rapids. I got. I've got a Sapphire Rapids system. I got the big twin. Uh, two node system from Supermicro that has uh, it's not the highest end uh, Sapphire Rapids processors, but it is the uh, sweetest spot in my opinion in terms of price, performance, clock speed, and and all of the stuff. And you look at the specs, and it's like, oh, this is kind of pedestrian. And it's it's like, what? Well, how many cores is it per socket? It's I think it's uh, forty four cores per socket. Only forty four cores. Yeah. What a peasant build. Yeah, no, it's like, oh, it's not, it's not 96 cores per socket. What is, it's 88, yeah, 88 processors per node. And, uh, you know, DDR5, PCIe5, blah, 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 12 NVMe. And it's really fast. It uses a lot of power, but it's really fast. And I've, I've really had a lot of fun playing with it. And it has some of the stuff in it that goes fast, like with one API and one mm-hmm. DNN and all of that. Those are the beginnings of the accelerators, but there are even more accelerators and crazy stuff coming with Xeon Max and, and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of that is really, it's, it's surprising how difficult to access some of that stuff is given the ambition of one API to be basically ubiquitous for developers because a lot mm-hmm. of the one, one, a- Intel's one API, basically, if you just use that, you automatically will get a lot of this really cool stuff to make math go fast. Um, but, uh, and then it's like, well, some of it is not there. Well, so you actually mentioned it and I like this question and it's on something you said. So let me just get this out of the way first. Max Eliza writes in and says, hi, Tom, and hi, Wendell. I love your work. Wendell, you've often described yourself as a computer janitor. 
But what does that look like in practice? What would be a typical work assignment or contract for you? I get the impression that tech companies hire you to implement profile and optimize complex workflows involving multiple software and hardware components, including having you apply patches to open source components to enable or optimize the customer's use case. How accurate is this perception I've stated? And how often do these patches get upstreamed? How does one break into the computer janitor business well if you have the time? Uh, I don't know. That's, you know, that's a, that's a much, that's a much more nice description. Uh, it sounds awesome. And the reality is, is probably not that, um, I do, I, I do occasionally get to work for startup companies or I get to work on a, on a large, interesting project. Those are a lot of fun. It usually pays pretty good and, uh, is usually something really interesting, but most of the time, you know, what do you think of when you think of a janitor? It's like, well, there's a toilet that's clogged up. And somebody flushed something they weren't supposed to, and you know you got to figure out its play. What what did they do? It's basically that. It's like, oh look, we're working on a database today. Oh, did you add some indexes? Oh, what are indexes? Mm, yeah, that's, that's that's not good. It's like, oh, we want to. It's like we want to make this website go fast. And it's like, okay, uh, in what context? Oh, th- this number's low. This number should be bigger. And it's like, well, but. You're doing it wrong. Like, I do. Is it my job to explain Google Analytics to you? Do you not know how to use Google? Okay, well, I guess, you know. So it's not. It's not really super glamorous. I have gotten to work on a couple of things. One of the most fun things that I did was I got to work on a system that had code in it from Grace Hopper. So that mm. was fun, and I got to find some bugs in that, and uh, and that was. It didn't. It didn't really end super well, but I had a good time on it, tried to save some, you know, taxpayers some money and successfully showed some ways to save taxpayer money, but no one was interested in actually saving some taxpayers money, but there's definitely an off subject route. I could go down on that. (laughs) Um, but so yeah, you, you consult basically the people, many of these companies, NVIDIA, AMD, Intel, and I'm sure tons of their suppliers and partners, they come to you with like a small part of a thing they're working on to either help them optimize it or if there's an issue, could you maybe help them figure it out? Then it's very yeah. ad hoc, lots of different things. Yeah, every now and then. It's mostly, you know, mostly most of the work I do is very, very pedestrian. But occasionally I do get to work for a startup company or somebody that's got something interesting going on. I get to, I get to figure stuff out, which is also interesting. But when I'm in the... I, Sometimes I'm in the I'm in the more pedestrian meetings and it's like, hey, guys, I've got a suggestion. Why don't we do this? And when they inevitably don't listen to that, it's like, well, OK, but, you know, I did sort of work on this thing for some other company that was, you know, a Fortune 500. But, you know, it's cool. We can do your thing. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I do wonder, like, how much people understand, like, just, you know, the, the average gamer or, or enthusiast online, like how many smaller groups single people who are consulting companies are helping out all different types of things like i mean even when it comes to me like getting information and stuff and like like who's giving input on things it's not just all amd at intel uh, all people at amd all people at intel all people at nvidia there's dozens of smaller companies helping these products launch and contributing to maybe one ip block on a design one piece of the software you know it's there's there's a lot more that goes into these products than just like these 200 people at amd on this one team or something yeah i really enjoy um that aspect of it and getting access 
you know, getting to access to some of the people on the product side has been really interesting, you know, from like the YouTuber, like, let's figure it out. Cause I don't know. A lot of the time I don't know. And a lot of the time it's, I like to be able to ask those questions. Like, why is this the way that it is? And can you tell me, you know, architecturally why this choice was made or why this, why this, or why that, which really helps cut through a lot of the time, you know, purchasing. Cause by the time you're, you're filtering to, Oh, you know, we're going to buy $5 million worth of stuff. And my little part of it, like it doesn't mm-hmm. even really influence the purchase decision is basically just like, is it going to be able to flush? If the answer is yes, that's basically all the say so that you get. Um, <laughs> oh, on the subject of say so, um, every now and then I will get a message from like a Moore's Law's Dead patron or someone will email me who watches my YouTube videos and says, can you ask your AMD contacts to add this feature to RDNA 4? And I'll just say, <laughs> no. I cannot. They don't they don't listen to Wendell half the time. No, some guy who sometimes talks to their engineers is not going to spark an idea. The only the only features that everybody's really tired of me asking for at Intel and AMD is can we get SRIOV? Can we get some software that lets us share a GPU among containers? Can we can we get some And there I finally am getting some, you know, after almost a decade, I'm finally getting some well, yeah, you know, that's probably not a bad idea. We should probably look into that and it's like the technology and cpus since socket 1366 nihilum to be able to run virtualized compute workloads moved at a blistering pace compared to i would like to run pair of virtualized workloads in a gpu and they look at you like you have four heads it's like what what is, what is this crazy like, yes i just i just want to be able to run two operating systems on one gpu why is this so insane i know like i know like that's the you know there is a there is a, a certain uh naivete in in asking that question but there's also not when you're talking about yeah you know how they design those things these days with the compute cores and the memory and the partitioning and the, what we have in the enterprise and blah 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 but well, so let me let me try to start off. I try to 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 keep the most of the stuff I talk about is more gaming focused, and so to try to keep much of the community listening probably on the hook early. You did recently do an i nine thirteen nine hundred ks review, and I did want to touch on it because I, I I mean I really enjoyed it. It's, you know, there will be a link in the description. I hope people check it out. But let, let's just throw it back to you then right away. Like, how would you summarize the i nine thirteen nine hundred ks? It's it is the one of the most incremental releases that we've seen from Intel in a long time. Because like moving from eleventh to eleventh to twelfth generation was genuinely breathtaking. Oh yeah, Mo- moving from tenth to eleventh generation set a new definition for what an incremental release was. And now moving from the thirteen hundred K to the KS, it's even more or less incremental. Smaller, because sometimes it doesn't smaller. even outperform the K. Yeah, right. In some of yeah. those benchmarks. Now, what's disappointing is I've got three three 13900Ks, and the real difference, the real thing they seem to be binning was not the cores, but the IMC, the memory controller. Because I got the insanely fast G-Skill memory kit, and I think the KS is probably the only CPU that I have that is going to reliably be able to go past to DDR5-7200. Mm-hmm. And when we have a GPU that's faster than the 4090, if making it go fast at 1080p is your thing, then DDR5, you know, 8,000 or whatever is probably going to be achievable on the KS where it's not really achievable on the K. But that's the nicest thing I can say about the KS. It's hot. It uses a lot of power. It's basically impossible to cool. 
And uh, it's it's really it's not worth the cost differential. You know, as far as that goes, you can get almost the same gaming performance out of the uh, the i7. The i7 is probably a smarter buy. Now, now I'm curious here. Um, you you have three 13900Ks, not KSs. Yep. Do what is do they all hit like 6600 megahertz? Is there's one that has trouble getting above 6200? I'm wondering if you've done that testing because just to give some background. Uh, I have an Alder Lake. I had an Alder Lake i5. I now have a Raptor Lake i7 in my benchmarking rig for just if I test a random GPU on the side. And I have to say that the, especially with Alder Lake, the performance of the memory controller was all over the place, especially when it comes to DDR4 support. And I've seen, there are so many armchair generals online arguing, oh, well, you can do this, you can do that. And it's no. like, I'm aware some Alder Lake CPUs can hit like 4,000 megahertz DDR4. I've also run into quite a few that can't even get above 3,000. Say what you will about Zen 3 and Zen 4. They all hit a certain speed. They all always do. Yeah, it it is a huge mess. Um, I had a, you know, my favorite favorite Alder Lake CPU was probably the 12400 when it was around $100. And uh, I've got, it's not out yet, but I've got a video where I'm covering the 13500, which by the way, the 13500, it's not even Raptor Lake Silicon. They're just rebadging the yeah. i7, which is just, well, it's because they, um, my understanding, uh, and fo- like people have listened to, this is one of those things I throw out there every now and then every other episode is with Alder Lake, Intel seems to have thought if they caught up to AMD even remotely, their mindshare would make them retake the market. <laughs> Like Alder Lake sold well, but it did not sell as well as they thought it would. And mm-hmm. so they just have so much Alder. There was a smaller die in Raptor Lake they were going to use for these parts. Mm-hmm. But it's they have so much leftover Alder Lake parts that they're just going to rebrand them because they've made too many. It's it's shocking, though, because the system agent. So the 13500 Intel has owned gold themselves. I was not super impressed with the 7600X from AMD, for example. Mm-hmm. At $300, you know, bottom. okay, now we get the non-X CPUs. That closes the gap a lot more. But that hundred-ish dollar 12400, which you can only get, you can only get the 12400 for $100 for a very brief window, and it was like 130, and uh, and now it's closer to 200 where the 13500 is. And at like $250, you know, if you if you tell me it's like, oh, you're getting an Alder Lake i7 for $250. Okay, that's that seems like that's pretty good. But that's also the kind of thing shareholders want to know. So like whenever I get the mm. random shareholder that wanders in, they're like, let me know if, if any of these things are happening. And rebadging products is one of those things. And it's like, yeah, that's a that's a that's a red flag that shareholders seem to look for. I don't know. I'm not a day trader. I just answer technical questions. But um uh, in, in terms of like the stock and the performance and, and all of the other stuff, I think Intel's really owned gold themselves with the 13500 because even though it has those things, the system agent voltage is locked. And that's related to what you were saying earlier about the memory controller and the memory performance and, and everything else. And I don't think that the 13500, like the B clock overclocking, where you could accidentally do the B clock overclocking, that's a lot more locked down now, too, in 13th mm-hmm. gen. They're able to fix that. But it's frustrating because those were the things that made those those CPUs sort of the fringe case edge buy. Like if you wanted to be that person that finds like the most optimal deal in terms of compute per dollar, those it's been headed it's been curtailed to an extent that you just sort of play right into AMD's hands. And AMD's got a tough 
hill that you're still trying to climb in terms of performance per dollar because AM5 is new and because there are still mm-hmm. minor teething issues and because, you know, the CPUs that are out for AM5 are still relatively high end. So, uh, you know, you can't get that DDR4 board with cheap DDR4 memory. It doesn't make sense for any Raptor Lake part, part no. that, I, that I've seen. And, you know, like the 12400, in a lot of the in a lot of cases, the non-K CPUs for Alder Lake seemed like they had a better IMC than the the K parts, mm. this, the i7 and the i9. And I always just assumed that was because they had been bending for the KS since day one. Every mm. K that could uh. possibly have a good IMC, those were all plucked from the line and shuttled off into this is a potential KS territory. But yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing that really annoys me when people like bring up Oh well, you know the i nine thirteen nine hundred K S. If you, once eight, I, this was a take I saw once AMD announced the X three D models. I saw not a lot, but a handful of people on the same day in my comments on YouTube say, "Well, once eight thousand megahertz DDR five comes out, Raptor Lake will match the X three D anyways in gaming." And I'm like, "Well, first of all, number one, you're talking about like four hundred dollar RAM kits, so <laughs> I don't know how all of a sudden you guys, these Intel fanboys, were constantly arguing <laughs> Zen 4's RAM was too expensive. All of a sudden, now it's okay to bring up eight thousand megahertz RAM <laughs> for a two percent gain in performance over like six only in ten eighty p." Oh, yeah. And if you're doing if you're a coil wine enthusiast, excellent. Um, But um, which that's a that's a thing I noticed testing the 4090 and a bunch of high end stuff recently is, man, coil wine's an issue now. Um, But yeah, I mean, when I uh, when I look at the DDR5 argument for Raptor Lake as well, it's not just the cost of the RAM that all of a sudden is okay for Intel to have. It's also like, I don't know that all of these chips are going to hit that. And like the difference in gaming performance between a 7700X and a 7950X is quite literally like zero. But the difference in gaming performance between the i5-13600K and the i9-13900K is is actually quite large, especially if one of them has, and it's usually the i5, a worse memory controller. And then if you were to put DDR5 with that i5, now it's actually losing by quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. And all of these arguments got the window, and it just seems like it's a generation of like double arguments. It's like, well, the DDR4 support makes it cheaper, and it's, oh, but yeah, you can't but, say, and it's good at gaming. Then, because it, it makes it, it cheaper, but you can't actually use it. <laughs> and, and all this is leading me towards like, I understand that Zen 4 um didn't sell it certainly didn't sell as well as AMD wanted it to at first and i do find the pricing on zen 4 weird because it's a new platform and you'd think if there was a time to be generous once before they take more market share it's it's now because get people on am5 but i think they've fixed the pricing issue uh the 7950x is now 600 the 7900x is 450 the 7600x is 250 and the 7600 is 230 I think, do you think there's a chance Intel's in trouble again with desktop market share this year? Because I think, I know Raptor like outsold Zen 4, but, and during the holiday season, but what outsold both of them combined was Zen 3 on bargain <laughs> sales. So yeah. I think AMD's just gotten rid of their Zen 3 stock. Now Zen 4 is cheaper. And like in the notes here, I have if they price the 7950X3D at 700 and the 7700X3D or 7800X3D at 400 and so on and so forth. I don't really know how Intel competes with this lineup because we know their margins are so thin, right? I really hope that AMD marketing for the 7000X3D 
covers the memory aspect because I'm, I don't know that the, I don't know this is true, but I expect this to be true. That um, if you noticed on the 5800X3D systems, mm-hmm. it didn't really matter about the memory speed anymore because the cache was just gargantuan. Yeah. It's like, oh, you want to you want to run 3200? All right, and I did that. So that I could ha- run a 1500X3D system with 64 gigs of memory, because like, you could get 64 gigs. I think it's, I think it was 3200, might have been 2933, and it made zero difference in mm-hmm. perform gaming performance of 1440p and higher. And I think we're going to see that play out again with the X3D. I think all of those cheap memory kits, like Micro Center and everywhere else, has like the 5600 kits. Well, it's now actually 6000 free with it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you get the you get the free 6000 Expo kit, or it's you know they're on fire sale. I, I got a I got a Corsair Dominator 64 gigabyte kit uh, that was 5600, and I think it was 120 dollars a dim, 130 dollars a dim. Yeah, that is getting close to like the I have like 37, 33 megahertz DDR4. Yeah. It's getting close to high end DDR4 pricing already. Yeah. Um, if not cheaper than some of the crazier DDR4 kits. And it's like, oh, you aren't running the expo profile or whatever. I mean, I could dial in. I mean, I could do my own timings and probably get there. But the cache is really going to eliminate any sort of gaming performance differences with that. And so if you're looking at total platform cost, then you know, AMD would be right to say, hey, this is this is a platform that's going to cost less, assuming the motherboard pricing parity also approaches that, which it is. We've, we're seeing lower cost AM5 boards, and I have a feeling we're going to see some deliberate lower cost AM5 board launches mm-hmm. with the uh, when the X3D CPUs launch. And then at that point, it's like, yeah, mm. especially with Intel making missteps with like the 12500, they should never have locked a B clock because nobody really does that anyway. I mean, really, mm-hmm. what what do they accomplish by locking the system agent voltage? I mean, come on. And again, remember, all of these non-X SKUs from AMD, all of them can yeah. be overclocked. <laughs> all of them can have the TDP set higher. I think they're on average like 1% worse or something than the X models. It's like Yeah, not even. It just depends on what you're doing. Now, the 7600... Uh, you know, honestly, like the 7600 and the 7900 for like the the low power home server and like the power user home server, those are incredible CPUs to use for that. Uh, 7900 is a 12 core, like enthusiast computer science college student that's not going to break the bank, upgradable AM5, blah, blah, blah. I think it's a really, you know, 12 cores. I, if it If it wasn't so close in price to the 7900X, it would be mm. a no-brainer, and I think in another month or the two, 7900X actually went below the price of the 7900 <laughs> on Amazon a few days ago because no one noticed, no one was buying that anymore. Yeah. So Amazon's algorithm lowered the price, and I think the 7900X almost got to like four hundred and twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Then, the, yeah, it's like at that point, it's like, well, I guess I'll get the X, but that also may be it's, it's like a 7900 for around like three seventy-five, three eighty, and cooler. Okay, yeah, it's back into no-brainer territory. I mean, yeah, you got to get a cooler, but you can get a cheap cooler. Well, and you know, um, something I've also reported for a few months now is that every retailer, every mom and pop shop that sells CPUs I talk to, they're like. We've got like a twenty, forty, sometimes sixty dollar or more markup on all of our Zen Four products, even the cheapest ones. Like, if AMD wanted to drop the price, we would still have higher margins selling these than Raptor Lake, which is like yeah. any Raptor Lake SKU you see at the per one thousand tray price that Intel announced. They're selling them at cost and hoping you buy a motherboard with it. Uh, that is what's going. And so I that's don't depressing. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, it's depressing. It's depressing for the retailers and that they feel forced to do that. And it's depressing for Intel because it's just, I, I don't know if people get this. Like AMD is fine with these margins. And in fact, retailers I talk to are want to keep pushing AMD CPUs because they're making 10, 20 bucks on each one sold. Whereas the Raptor Lake ones, they're not, they're making maybe $5. I don't know where Intel goes here. Um, Dino999 writes in and says, Hello, Tom and Wendell. With the 13900KS being Intel's recent CPU launch that is truthfully very disappointing, it looks like they finally ran out of levers to pull. Previously, they had the node shrink advantage every generation they could always rely on if they couldn't get a big IPC increase. And then they started increasing the TDP, and that gave them some extra juice to a point. But the recent KS, I'd argue, isn't even better than the regular K, like at all in many benchmarks. What can Intel do going forward? Server, mobile, and soon desktop just seems one-sided. Are there any other levers they can pull, or can they just keep increasing TDP? Well, I'll answer that now. I think we've seen the fact that the KS uses the same energy as the K. They're out of the K- the TDP lever now, even. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, he says, it seems the next few years will be AMD dominating. I really don't want one company dominating too hard for any period of time. Healthy competition is always good for the consumers. You can uh, you can get the, the KS. It, I think, again, sample size of one. But I think the KS is better than the K, but it is different. You can't give it more power, but it will run faster with less power. Yeah. And so it's weird because nobody wants to tune it that way. So you can get better gaming performance. But in terms of like, oh, you're all core performance. No, you're not going to get it's you're, you're all core performance. It's 24 cores versus 16 cores at the high end. Well, 24, 16 E plus 8 P. Mm-hmm. So if you want to count an E core as a core or not, whatever, I'm not going to have that argument with you. But 24 things that compute versus 16 I count things. them as cores. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're Skylake cores. <laughs> exactly. I called, I called them cores on the 8350. So I figure it's only fair if it's cores in the, you know, in, in Alder Lake or in Big Dot Little. They don't like it when you call it Big Dot. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're out of, and in, in server, the server is a bigger problem than a lot of people talk about because in the data center, these data center designers designed, you know, for 22 kilowatts per rack or, mm-hmm. or less. And you can't, you just can't do it. And it's like, oh, we've got these Xeon Max CPUs that are the Q series that are designed for water cooling and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, that's for like two customers. Nobody's going to buy that. Nobody's going to buy that in bulk. And certainly for the Sapphire Rapid CPUs that I have, they're fast. And single core speed is at parity or beats, you know, what um, uh, what AMD has in in Genoa. Mm-hmm. But those that, that single core, notice I'm really careful here, single core speed, meaning that, that the other yeah. 43 cores aren't doing anything. Because people talk about this, right? Yeah. And I think this is something that surprised people that Zen 4 kept up with Raptor Lake and gaming. Intel typically has a single thread lead, yeah. and AMD has multi-threading lead, but in the middle, AMD still has an advantage because their four eight-core performance tends to boost higher at the same time. Yes, it, it is It is not a great situation on server because so many workloads aren't really single-thread. And so you do your single-core test, like the PHP benchmark in Pharonix, that's basically single-core, and you look at it, and it's, it's, holy moly, we've broken a million points for PHP. This is going to be the most amazing web server on planet Earth. But then you look at the power usage, and it's like, oh... 
that one core is using the power of four cores. Mm-hmm. And there's physically not a, a possibility that you will ever deliver that much power through the socket to all of these cores. It's not even a thermal problem. It's a power problem. It's a power mm-hmm. problem before it becomes a thermal problem. And uh, <laughs> a power problem and then a thermal problem about 30 seconds later. Uh, even with water cooling and even and that's even what Nvidia's run into with Lovelace too. Is yeah. they're like it they can actually cool it, but you will trip the breaker in your house if we push it too hard. Yeah. Or the card will melt itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so for some things it's 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 really fat. And then when you when you're running, you know, twenty of your forty four cores, and then all of a sudden we're at, you know, core parity with with Genoa. But in terms of performance per watt, Genoa is leading in even in even in the, the 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 other side of the bathtub bathtub curve uh, performance per watt parts, um, the F CPUs uh, those the F CPUs are still more power efficient than Sapphire Rapids uh, in in those uh, middle of the road Sapphire Rapids um, uh, scenarios performance scenarios unless you're using some of the Intel specific silicon and then, mm-hmm. and then the performance per watt goes through the roof. Like when you're, we're talking about like uh, one DNN or open Vino or things that are components of Intel's one API. If you look at the performance per watt and there's some aspect of the job that can leverage those parts of the processor, then the average performance per watt is through the roof for Intel, like significantly better than, than Genoa. But the problem is that, there's a lot of workloads out there that don't use any of that. And for mm-hmm. the generic things, the performance per watt is quite a bit worse than, than AMD for Intel. Yeah. I've, I've, so, yeah, let's get into the whole Sapphire Rapids versus Genoa discussion here. Jesse here may know how to fetch very well, but she really hasn't learned one of the main things any viewer of Moore's Law is Dead should know by now, and that's that you don't need to overpay for Microsoft keys. This piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com. There's just no reason to pay exorbitant monopolistic prices for Microsoft Office or Microsoft operating systems anymore. Not when you have someone like cdkeyoffer.com, who's been a fantastic sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead for many years now. If you're looking for anything from Steam games, Origin games, Uplay games, or PlayStation keys, or reasonably priced Microsoft software, go to cdkeyoffer.com today, click the links in the description, and use the offer codes BROKENSILICON for 25% off Microsoft keys, and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Don't be like Jesse here, who's chewing on my chair right now. Be smart, don't overpay for online software, and go to cdkeyoffer.com today. Um, one thing that I found really odd about the Sapphire Rapids launch, finally it has launched, you know, like it actually is getting reviewed by websites. I think they pretended it launched three times before now. You it can um, actually, you can actually buy it. I've, I know someone that's taking delivery of a number of racks of servers in March, mm-hmm. theoretically. So it, it finally has launch launched by now and all I, I, I swear Last week, I saw nothing but hot takes. It was either this thing is a joke or this thing is impressive compared to Milan, which I found perplexing. How many people? <laughs> well, it was supposed have, to come out a year ago. I guess you can see that. I, uh, but it 
didn't. <laughs> there are people <laughs> like, wow, this would have been impressive if it came out against Milan. And it's like, I mean, imagine if Ampere came out now and people were like, this would have been impressive against RDNA too. It's like, okay, but it, it, it didn't though, you know, and when something comes out matters. I know some folks that, that ordered some systems, not a lot, you know, just have, you know, a couple million dollars worth of servers is not even a blip on the radar. But I know somebody that, that ordered a bunch of systems and they actually made the call to see, and it was for third gen Xeon scalable. And they actually made the call to see if they could cancel the order. And it wasn't, you know, they're not, it's not anybody that is even considering AMD. They're, they're impressed with AMD's performance. So they're not considering AMD was never a consideration for buying anything. It's that the performance of Sapphire Rapids is so much better than third generation Xeon scalable. It's like, like, why did you even sell us this? Because they could not physically buy them at launch day. They only were just able to, you know, sign the dotted line. Xeon had a very, very long ramp. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and it's like, if you knew that we could buy this and take delivery in, you know, March or April, why did you sell us these? Because we haven't even taken, we know we signed the contract, yes, but we haven't taken delivery of these. And this is garbage level performance for the third generation Xeon scalable for what we can get fourth generation Xeon scalable, which is going to be like twice as fast for this particular job, this particular workload thing that they're doing, twice as fast per dollar. Um, and that is that has made them very salty. And because of that, they're now considering, mm-hmm. well, you know, maybe we should look at AMD. Well, you know, that's something that's really, really important that I haven't had. uh, There's a few like server people, if you will, that I've talked to throughout the year. Some of them have come on the podcast anonymously. And one thing that they consistently say is you have to remember that these companies aren't buying into one generation. They're buying into the next three. And so that's why it took AMD forever to start taking uh, relative to what I think some people expected. You know, you look at Naples and you're like, it's half the price and just as good. And Zen 2 is double as good for, (laughs) you know, it's like, well, they want to see Zen 1, Zen 2 and Zen 3 happen without any hitches so that if they buy Zen 3, they know Zen 4 and Zen 5 will also go well. That's why it took several generations for AMD to start taking server market share. But that's also why I think what we're going to see is now that AMD is starting to take it, it's almost a foregone conclusion they're going to take away more this year as well. Because the decision to buy Zen 4 was made when Zen 3 raffle stomped Intel. And if Intel delivering one generation of Sapphire Rapids, kind of like Alder Lake on desktop, that seems to catch up briefly almost, but then it's just, they lose the lead again for that that's what people are thinking about when they buy servers. They're always thinking, am I buying a winner for the next five years or am I buying a, you know, winner that just happened like a flash in the pan and then I'm going to regret getting these. And I think a lot of people like who would say, you know what? Ice Lake, we just got burned and Emerald Rapids looks like a complete joke. So why would I, yeah. why am I getting Sapphire Rapids? Why'd you do this to us? Right? Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. And, you know, I don't have anything to do with those conversations. Sometimes I'm on the conference call where these things are being discussed. But most of the time, it's just, okay, uh, I mean, my stuff doesn't really matter as long as the performance is reasonably good. But you're right. These systems are systems that have a service lifetime of at least three, usually on the order of like five years. There is an ungodly number of Cascade Lake and Skylake Xeons Mm -hmm. that are still out there. And Intel really, really did successfully sort of buy their way out of the socket apocalypse 
um, a couple of generations ago because they were able to just basically turn to all those customers that had all those 3647 sockets mm. and say, look, we will give you a 28 core CPU for that socket that is drop in ready. You bought the 10, 12, you know, 14 core CPUs for that socket. You just, you know, have your data center monkeys go through and replace, you know, we'll send you pallets and pallets and pallets of 28 core CPUs. It's drop in. You don't have to change anything else. It's just the labor, which is still, there's CTOs looking at this and they're like, well, labor cost versus totally replace the hardware. Mm-hmm. They're still leaning toward totally replacing the hardware just because of the headache. You don't need to mess with your software as much. You don't need to yeah. worry if there's different bugs versus if you switch to AMD. And yeah. well, Intel has their own foundries. They're able to pump out chips while AMD was su- supply constrained during the pandemic. So that's really what saved intel's market share at all then can't, but can't do it again <laughs> nope you can't you did it once and they were kind of hoping if they bought up all these 28 cores that were drop-in compatible that three years later you guys would have caught back up to amd <laughs> and sapphire rapids has not no. right but i would say sapphire rapids versus genoa is better than ice lake versus milan um, yeah. for what, because, and let me just summarize here before we get into like how important these accelerators actually are. Like so we have 60 golden cove cores versus 96 and four cores, eight channel DDR five versus 12 channel DDR five. Correct me if I'm wrong. 1.5 terabytes of max memory capacity versus six you is can, what I read. You can do six terabytes. They pulled out, they, 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 they did some knobs and levers at the last minute on Sapphire Rapids and you can do two terabytes per socket on the super micro platform that okay. I have. But, uh, you could do six terabytes per socket with the Optane persistent memory, but that's second gen, that's second oh. gen product. And so it's kind of like, uh, uh, yeah, so, and then 80 versus 128, or I think it might be 112 PCIe Gen 5 lanes or something versus 128. Yeah. So AMD, uh, and AMD does have data stream accelerators as well. Um, so when you look across this, it's like uh, 50% more cores, 50% more yeah. channels, even more memory and more PCIe lanes. It kind of seems like AMD just has them beat across the board. But a lot of the hot takes also talked about how impressive their accelerators are, um, which they have a data stream accelerators like AMD, dynamic load balancers, and memory analytics accelerator, quick assist technology. All this comes together in some AI workloads. They win by like a lot against AMD. Yep. But how important is that? Because I think it's like, I think sometimes people go online and they like look at, they break something into four buckets. They'll be like, there's gaming, multi-threading, AI, and whatever. And they'll say, well, one wins gaming, one wins multi-threading, one wins AI, one wins this. And they're like, they win half of the tasks. And (laughs) my question for you is, right, but how many, what percentage of the tasks it's good at are people actually buying these chips for? It's... In the enterprise, it's usually done much more holistically. Usually the customers aren't idiots. Sometimes mm-hmm. they are. Sometimes they're just like, ah, we know that the application works really well on Intel, blah, blah, blah. We'll just buy the next Intel, blah, 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 and you know it'll be fine. But we're getting to a point where when we're talking about a network card, you know, a, a mainstream network card that's 400 gigabit um or 800 gigabit you know two two 400 gigabit ports or whatever i mean my my i'm I'm some rando and i have a 100 gigabit infrastructure in my office Mm -hmm. what sort of crazy world is this when you're talking about those those kinds of bandwidths 
and those kinds of latencies, a lot of stuff really matters a whole lot. And there's a lot of cool stuff on the software side in one API and in one DNN to make developers' lives less awful. So my, my mm-hmm. background is computer science, and I've, I've, I've done a lot of I've, I've, I've done a lot of programming in my life, a lot of, a lot of suffering. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's awesome. Uh, he said <laughs> with Stockholm syndrome, um, and anything that I can do to leverage a platform or do something clever and get a, squeeze a little bit more performance out of it is great. I love that. And I love the, the ambition of one API where I can write this thing and it'll run on Arca GPUs and it'll run on blah, blah, blah. And it's got some seriously cool, um, wins in, uh, with Tencent and a lot of, a lot of product projects in China and mobile acceleration in China and a lot of really cool stuff that is not necessarily directly applicable to the American market and potential American customers that would be interested in that or not. You can't just go to them and say, look at this amazing thing we did for Tencent. And they're like, ah, China. Ah. Um, but the software aspects and the stuff that's baked into Sapphire Rapids really do pave the way for, that kind of stuff in the future. And so it was really kind of mind blowing to me that they really hobbled the accelerators as they have, because historically like Pat Gelsinger needs to go into Intel and go find the team that did the presentation for Skylake to Netflix. Mm. Hopefully those, those guys haven't been fired. So Intel did a and Netflix was doing the whole AMD versus Intel thing years ago. And, and Netflix blogged about it, but the short version is they couldn't get web SSL encryption to run fast enough on those old Xeons mm-hmm. in order to saturate the you know 100 gig links or whatever they had in their Netflix boxes. And they were like, that's the bottleneck in our application. We're not buying the most expensive CPUs. It doesn't even necessarily, I think, make, so- make sense on a, on a modern system to go two sockets because... It's, it's just cheaper to buy more systems mm. and have more sockets because that thing scales across physical nodes really well. And um, Intel's like, no, no, cool, it's cool, it's cool, we got this, we got this. And so they had something like a quick assist accelerator PCIe mm-hmm. card, and it's like, look, look how much faster this will be. But there wasn't enough PCIe connectivity, there wasn't enough PCIe bandwidth in the socket to fully accelerate all of that web SSL traffic and send it out over the wire at 100 gigabit. Like they fundamentally misunderstood the problem that they were trying to solve. And it was like, oh, accelerators. And it's like, okay, the people, the Netflix engineers are, you know, were too dumb from Intel's perspective, were too dumb to figure that out. So they sent their sales team. And then when the sales team got there with the accelerators and everything else, they were like, oh yeah, no, we can't, it doesn't work like that. And it's like, yes, exactly. And so here we are again with PCIe 5 and accelerators and weird licensing and blah, blah, blah. And everybody that has already been burned by that, everybody that has already been Mm. burned by those PCIe quick assist accelerators, everybody running more than a quarter of a million dollars Microsoft SQL licenses has already experimented with all the quick quick assist stuff. And they have already been burned by it. And that is going to really, really hobble the one API adoption unless Intel comes hat in hand no, we we want we want 60% of this to be for the betterment of humanity and less suffering for, for developers and 40% to lock in our market share. If it's 50-50 or 60-40 the other way or more, no one is going to adopt it. Mm-hmm. So for Netflix, assuming they could leverage the software well, Intel did go hat in hand, and let's say they had to rebuild everything they had right now, would you recommend they build a bunch of Sapphire Rapid servers or a bunch of Genoa? 
I think well, like which one would outperform for the price, even just in terms of like electricity? Right now, there's right now, even with the accelerators, even even on Sapphire Rapids, it, nothing would make sense to rip out the infrastructure you have. Um, but if they were building it new, if I'm they just were curious, if they were building new, I don't think that Sapphire Rapids right now closes the gap enough for that. for Netflix. Okay. Yes. And and here's the here's the thing, <laughs> maybe the potential leakers in your audience that would leak even more stuff to you. AMD's acquisition of uh, Xilinx, is that how you say that? Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's how I say it. So, sure. So, <laughs> uh, you can do those same kinds of acceleration actually on the network card. So, mm. like DPUs, data processing units. Yeah. Um, but again, it's a problem of software. So, the, f- the future, like where this is going, is basically if you believe in a top down benevolent dictator approach (laughs) what intel is doing will that win or will amd's approach of we're going to work with our biggest customers to figure out what they're doing and we're going to try to make it easier for them to do what it is that they want to do but it's ultimately going to be up to them to fill in the gaps in the software and be able to do that and i think netflix is going to choose to be more self-reliant and i think they would choose the genoa system over the sapphire rapid system even though if all of the sun and the moon and the stars align one API might be a less awful developer experience for Netflix. And, you know, Intel may have an answer there for their customers to really dot the I's and cross the T's. I think Netflix would look at the the raw, just crazy horsepower of Genoa, more memory bandwidth, and the possibility for future flexibility and to deal with unknowns. Like adding on. other accelerators on top of it and still right, rely yeah. on only they, Intel's. They could build their own. They could do their own thing. And because you have somebody like Netflix that has historically been so self-reliant and also very smart, they're going to choose Genoa every time. If mm-hmm. you have somebody like you know Ford, you know poor old Ford, they they're you know it's just well we'll invest in evs and then the the whole uh the whole uh you know fake it was ford that invested in the fake ev company right they didn't have anything the semi was going downhill oh was that ford am i thinking of the wrong company i don't know no i know (laughs) because they used to work at gm i I don't believe it was i think it may have been ford yeah it it was there was a big auto manufacturer that did that yeah (laughs) and so you have somebody like that and they're like gosh intel's gonna gonna show us the way out of this mess with their one api there may be an enterprise customer like that will do that as a developer i really like the promise of one api and i really like the top-down recognition and i really like that that um they have the smarts to put something together like with one api that could show us the way it's like you know, give us the computer science and give us the awesomeness in order to be able to do this. And they did that a little bit with Optane. Like Optane was so fast and so low latency, they had to invent a whole new storage thing to be able to deal with that. And that was called SPDK. And there's a lot of really amazing engineers and a whole bunch of people that got fired from Intel because Intel was like, ah, we're getting rid of Optane or whatever. Really treated unfairly engineers because somebody didn't see the big picture, in my opinion. Um, that figured out how to make things like PostgreSQL go insanely fast. Open source database system go insanely fast. This is great. You know, that's a, that's on that 60-40, 60% benefit for humanity, 40%. Uh, maybe Intel locks in some market share here. But I think that's good. And, you know, they got to have some incentive to make money and do stuff. And they did some really amazing stuff with SPDK and PostgreSQL and blah, blah, blah. But it turns out you don't need SPDK to make the NVMe and the I.O. go fast. The, the fundamental I.O. problems that, you know, Intel and AMD were facing with fast 
I/O devices, fast storage devices, could be that could be used as persistent memory. It could just be used for storage. You can also solve with uh, something called IOU ring. Uh, so it's a whole. It's it's actually new computer science, kind of more or less. Yeah, it's unequivocally it is is new computer science to do with reusing buffers and how things are transferred. And so that approach, pure open source in the Linux kernel, is supplanting what SPDK would have been used for in those scenarios without being encumbered by Intel intellectual property. And so there are things like that that could be potentially very bad for one API adoption. Mm -hmm. So between that and charging money for one API, I think that was bad. That's bad news for the future of Intel-owned accelerators. Well, so do you think, um, before because I want to get into that, but do you you think that Intel put money into the wrong accelerators on Sapphire Rapids? Or do you think this is all logical? This is the only thing they could do? I'm kind of coming at this from the perspective of like, I'm looking at a die diagram of Sapphire Rapids on the side here. And the accelerators take up like the equivalent of like a few cores, maybe on the overall quadruple tile thing that is Sapphire Rapids. So it's not like they use that much die space for it. Um, is this something they just kind of had to do because they can't scale up in cores as high as AMD? Or is this something that this was a waste to do? Did they bet on the wrong accelerators? Or do you think, you know, we're just being as critical as possible? It might have been a re- like, it's it's fine. It actually isn't that bad. It's just not magical. Or you see what I'm kind of asking here? Yeah, as in terms of your, your, your question is good. I'll probably ask it a different way. For the accelerators that don't really take up a lot of silicon real estate, does it make sense for Intel to even bother licensing them? And I think mm-hmm. the answer is no, because you look at the die diagram and you look at how much silicon real estate that it takes up, and, you, and it's like, what? What are you? Very little. What are you doing? Why are you charging me so much money for this? This is this is crazy. But the reality is that there's actually a lot more that went into. I think I, I, I this is opinion. This is not based on specific mm-hmm. knowledge, but I think that. Because of the software architecture, I think the software people are leading the hardware oh. design in a lot of ways. I think there's the overall processor architecture design um, was based on a lot of assumptions that they made with how one API would be built so that things will drop into one API. Because for things like the OpenVINO acceleration and AMX, the AMX acceleration, it's not really, I mean, it's just advanced matrix extensions. And so like, that's probably not even in the part of this. I don't know, but it's probably mm-hmm. not even in the part of the silicon that you're looking at. It's probably in with the other vector extension stuff in the processor. And that stuff had to be built with mm-hmm. the software in mind for how Intel was going to take advantage of it from the one okay. API side. And so it probably is a lot more silicon real estate. I see what, yeah. And it looks like. It's kind of like talking about like AVX 512 on Alder Lake where it's like, well, whether they liked it or not, that's taking up some silicon and they just had to disable it to use the little cores. <laughs> or I don't know if they really had to. They've chosen to. Um, well, it's funny because there's there's actually in the same conversation, we don't have to talk about it right now, but we need to remember to talk about the AVX 512 Alder Lake thing, the Sapphire Rapid Stepping thing, and this that we're talking about now with in terms of like silicon real estate versus accelerators because i think they're all connected and there's they mm-hmm. show holes in process that i don't know that intel has solved and that may affect granite rapids and future processors well so 
Right. Well, then here's how I kind of want to answer or ask this question as well. Just kind of like nail this down. Like, all right, the accelerators can be useful. It sounds like you're kind of saying because there's other ways of doing it that they can control better on their own. A lot of companies will just not use these accelerators. Um, Let's say if it was this simple, AMD could have the same accelerators that work the same way that work just as well. Would you remove four cores from Genoa to give it this, the same accelerators Sapphire Rapids has? Would you say, oh, easily, you know, make it a 92 core instead of a 96 core? Now it has all the accelerator capabilities of Sapphire Rapids. Would you remove eight, 16? How many would you, I know it's a very like qualitative answer to what should be a quantitative one, but Four cores probably would be yes if you if you can leverage if you can leverage all of the accelerators in the same way, and that would probably that would probably help drive the adoption of those of those accelerators. Mm-hmm. But um, you would you remove eight? Would you make it an eighty-eight core Genoa to get the same accelerator capabilities as Sapphire Rapids? Eight is pushing it, and twelve is right out. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely not twelve. Eight, okay. eight, eight cores is eight, eight cores is pushing it, and the only reason for that is because the one DNN like OpenVINO results on Sapphire Rapids truly breathtaking. Like I can't, the latency there is so small, and that could be potentially like those features could potentially be um, critically important for some future AI thing that runs on combination CPU and GPU. Like probably the few like if we, I think we're gonna see an AI software system that is probably indistinguishable from something that is sentient uh, within the next five years. Mm-hmm. And it will probably be running on something that is a CPU, a, a, a giant package that has tiles for both CPU and GPU compute with insanely high-speed interconnects and HBM memory. Um, <laughs> in the same way that you can run Windows 95 on a 386, you're going to be able to run AI on something. <laughs> Yeah. And and those accelerators are are really good. But it's also true that they're kind of narrow in scope. And so mm-hmm. and that's what I was trying to answer, right? It's like, well, yes, in some tasks this is a huge boon, but also it's like you wouldn't give up it sounds like even 10% of the course to have this acceleration. That probably means it's only being used by not 10% of customers then, right? Yeah, or when you it's have like, it's like half of the customers can benefit fully from this. It's a it's a game of balancing how, speeds and feeds. So mm-hmm. you've got so much memory bandwidth, you've got so much I.O. bandwidth, and you've got these breathtaking accelerators. If you can't feed the accelerators from all of the other stuff you got going on, then they're not going to get utilized. And the, util- the, the accelerators in Sapphire Rapids are so fast, it's easy for me to imagine that the workload doesn't depend on just the accelerators. It depends on everything else. So you, if you lose a relatively small number of cores, you're not really hurting the overall performance of the chip for everything right. else, but at a larger number of cores lost, then you lose so much. You you gain so much accelerator performance, you lose so much other performance that you cease to be able to keep the accelerators fed. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's kind of what I suspected too. But I, I this just isn't my background. So if I felt like if I articulated that in the last broken silicon, I it'd be obvious I'm way out of my depth. Um, but something I discovered today also while I was preparing to talk to you, uh, something I've seen uh, said online by a lot of people 
is, oh, well, this can cut down on per core licensing and the accelerators aren't a core to be licensed. <laughs> and then I saw, well, Intel's charging to license their accelerators. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Chris Rich writes in and says, the accelerators built into Sapphire Rapids are certainly useful for a number of tasks, but I feel that Intel has made a mistake by deciding to charge extra for them with their on-demand program. I think this will put two doubts into consumers' minds. Uh, number one, what about whether these accelerators will continue to exist in the future, and then also whether better alternatives exist for the money already right now if they're going to charge for them. In fact, I'd expect customers would particularly benefit from them to already have alternatives they're using now in the form of PCIe cards and the like. Are Intel shooting themselves in the foot by charging for this? You've kind of gotten into that already. Yeah, it's. I mean, we we've Intel is absolutely shooting itself in the foot here. They have the quick access, quick assist accelerator PCIe cards, which were great if you had one of those anemic Xeons from way back mm -hmm. in the day. Uh, well, where way back in the day is like you know pre Sapphire Rapids, I guess. Yeah. Well, pre I guess Ice pre pre Ice Lake actually yeah. probably. Um, and so things would run fast and and be great because through the PCIe card, mm, woo, that's really good, but. In modern CPUs, it's faster to just leave it on the CPU. It makes no sense to actually move it off of the CPU. So, uh, but now we got PCIe 5 where it's like, well, the bus is actually really kind of fast again. So the network, you know, even at 800 gigabit, the network is so much slower than everything else. You could theoretically move everything onto an accelerator and then off the accelerator onto the PCIe cards. But like even... It's like there's a whole other there was there was a project I worked on once where we were looking at moving stuff on the PCIe bus peer to peer. So that's thing mm -hmm. that's a thing you can do. But that still hasn't really largely been realized uh, everywhere. It, everything still goes through the CPU, but it's frustrating and it doesn't make any sense. Nvidia, ironically, is one of the few companies that has really dotted the I's and crossed the T's on their implementation to do that and with these large, you know, 80 gigabyte GPU systems, which if you did that on a PCIe 4 system, you were in a better spot than mm -hmm. if you used AMD or a, a, the proprietary NVIDIA crossover thing. So if you run all these NVIDIA GPUs on an AMD system and just gave them all the PCIe bandwidth, the CPU is not really doing that. It's really running over Infinity Fabric. You're not really using, you're not losing CPU cycles to deal with that. Just the virtue of Infinity Fabric running all those PCIe slots. It ran circles around any anything that you could use for uh from from intel on the on the xeon side and that continues to maybe still be a problem with sapphire rapids i don't know but i saw a demo system from nvidia that seemed to be genoa based and it was like wait a minute nvidia aren't you guys like mortal enemies i thought you know sapphire rapids was going to be the demo system for the h100s and it was a genoa mm -hmm. system and, oh, interesting because <laughs> yeah that did stick out when they did that oddly yeah, yeah and it's like well it turns out that that was faster it was faster to have the GPUs communicate amongst themselves via PCIe than NVIDIA's own proprietary thing, which was invented because it was too slow on the Xeon side and there wasn't enough lanes. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't know. and so you, you end up with this instead of having every GPU with 80 gigabytes of memory, every GPU has 80 gigabytes times the number of GPUs in this cluster. And whether it's local or remote memory, it's so fast, it didn't really matter. Mm hmm. Well, and something I kind of want to move into now as well is I see 
well, one of the hot takes that really annoy me the most when Sapphire Rapids just launches, seeing people say, well, at least it's good compared to Milan. Um, and then not see those people bring up that this Sapphire Rapids isn't even just competing with Genoa. It's competing with Sienna, Genoa X, Bergamo. Those are all coming out in like four months or something. I think Sienna is more like later in the year, but like Sienna is a 64 core Zen 4C. I think it has the same IPC as, uh, Zen 4. It's just clocked lower. Um, and so that's basically half the price for the same multi-threading almost as Sapphire Rapids. Uh, and then you have Genoa X, which has, I don't know what, gigabytes of cash now on it, <laughs> and Bergamo, which now goes up to 256 threads. So if you want multi-threading, Bergamo. If you want 64 cores or less for cheap, Sienna. If you want the standard, Genoa. And if you want the cash, Genoa X. Um, I don't... Is, are we? Is this just about to get ten times worse for Sapphire Rapids? Because really, customers can use whatever niche they want from AMD. Yeah, there, you'd be surprised how many people are buying, are still buying. You know, less than a thirty-two core. You know, it's like, oh, this is a pleb to your server, and it's like we just we're gonna buy a box and have a cluster of, you know, twenty-four core machines running a bunch of VMs that do whatever we needed to, and that's that's all we do. Um, so Mark Papermaster in his in his conferences at, at a, AMD has said AMD is working on opening a whole bunch of swim lanes in parallel. And so AMD doesn't subscribe to this accelerator, you know, accelerator powered future or doesn't subscribe to this. I, I should qualify and say that I, my impression is that they're, they don't subscribe to this top down, mm-hmm. you know, AMD led accelerator future um, and that AMD is 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 opening swim lanes, his words. Uh, for more products and that's sort of a you know it's sort of a new new thing for them and so uh, you know genoa x is sort of and milan x are sort of running parallel and you know there's no there's no reason that everybody needs ddr5 12 channels you mm-hmm. know right now milan x solves a lot of problems really really well right now and will and will solve a lot of problems next year and the in the year before it's almost like uh amd's got their their you know socket 3647 moment where you know we start out with those 12 cores and then you swoop in and it's like oh would you like a 28 core that fits that socket like you know and is like we got this room over here that's just filled with these cpus why don't you take one of those well and i think a lot of people choosing genoa this year are aware of that as well because genoa is like just and zen 4 on am5 really are just setting this table like turin i believe is 192 cores next year and then whatever the follow-up to bergamo is called is 256 cores yeah and so you can start and they're gonna have a follow-up to sienna as well you can get like a budget 32 core sienna system that (laughs) probably costs less than milan and now performs it and if you want to upgrade to like a 128 core bergamo next based on zen 5 next year go for it man you want to go from 48 core genoa you know to 192 core turin x go for it I, I really think when people compare Sapphire Rapids to Genoa and they go, oh, but it wins this task and that task by a little bit here and there, it's like, right, but now compare it to the multi-threading of Bergamo. Now compare it to Genoa X in terms of any single, like less than all multi-threading, well, or all multi-threading tasks that can use a lot of cash. You know, it, it, I just, I don't, it seems yeah. bloody. <laughs> it, 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 uh, it's it's going to be... It's going to be interesting. It seems like it's going to be good um, for AMD, and I think that it's. I think they meant a lot more than they let on 
when they're talking about opening up multiple swim lanes and the products that they have and, and everything and everything like that, because, you know, look at, look at how many servers would be completely satisfied by the reject Silicon by years old reject Silicon. That's been sitting in a warehouse forever. It's like, Oh, look, here's your 24 core, you know, four sticks of DDR four. How happy is it going to make partners that you're still selling DDR four memory and servers and blah, blah, blah. How insane is it that, you know, a DDR five platform Sapphire rapids compared with Milan Milan's still doing pretty good there. And it's DDR4 and it's less memory bandwidth mm-hmm. and not PCIe 5 and and blah, blah, blah. And it's still, it's like, oh, you know, it's PCIe 5 to PCIe 5. I mean, that's, that is, there are aspects. I get that Sapphire Rapids was supposed to be out first and, and that Intel was supposed to be the first platform with DDR5. But, but at the same time, it's like, you kind of want to compare DDR5 to DDR5 and PCIe 5 to PCIe 5. And I really hope, like, you know, if you, if you want to be really harsh about it, uh, AMD with 12 memory channels of DDR5 is not doing as well as Sapphire Rapids is with eight channels of DDR5 in some scenarios. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's that about? Is that what, what's going on with DDR5 in general? We see that over in desktop parts as well. The AM5, DDR5, there's some sort of weird, like if you just do the math on the, the bandwidth that you should get from DDR5 and the clock mm-hmm. speed, the latency and everything else, it's like, what is going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I can't answer that. Um, I don't know. Like, I've got some pretty good connections, and and they're they're just kind of like, well, we know we're not going to give you any hints. And it's like, okay, that's cagey. Well, I I think they got it out the door. It does what it does against what it's competing with. Well, I guess you would just hope that with Zen Five, it's like, oh well. Guys, this is the full new architecture from the ground up that's going to utilize this really well or something. That's kind of how I see it. In fact, you know, this might give you some pause. Uh, this is like half a year ago. And there were other rumors online about this as well, that um, there was an AM4 version of Zen 4 designed. And so I don't know what that exactly was. But if I were to guess, Zen 4 is the exact same chiplet size as Zen 2. If I were to guess, Zen 4 can use Zen 3 uh, IO dies <laughs> if they really wanted to. Just AMD axed that plan to release it to AM4. Mm. Uh, th- that's what I suspect. And so I, was, I would look at Zen 5, or who knows, I'd like to see Phoenix tested even, because it's like a 4 nanometer updated version. Like I-, I suspect these next generations of Zen products are the ones that really were from the ground up built for DDR5. That's my suspicion. Um, and that some, in many ways, Zen four is meant to be a bridge because they were just like accounting for so many things. Like, is there going to be, you know, is there going to be a huge recession? Is there not going to be, is Everything AM5 going to get delayed? Yeah. You know, it, cause if you keep compatibility with the previous gen IO die, that opens up a whole host of possibilities. If something goes wrong, you could release yeah. it on the pre and then you could release Zen three in the low end on AM five. Cause that would suggest maybe Zen three is compatible with the Zen four <laughs> IO die. Probably not, but it makes me go. Hmm. Um, but, uh, I don't know about you guys, but over the holiday season, I tend to eat extra calories and Jesse here is no different. She's probably about to go eat that bone right 
now. But you know, Jessie's a growing girl. She needs as many calories as she can get, and she's also a dog. She doesn't really think about if any of those calories are healthy, unlike probably most of you humans watching who are about to go back to work after the holiday season and want something easy to make that hopefully will help you get off some of that holiday weight. If that's you, consider getting Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a sponsor of this piece of content, and Vite Ramen is an American company that crafted a protein and nutrient-rich meal that takes minutes to make without sacrificing taste. You can use their classic packages that make it easy to add protein and ingredients of your choice, or the new Ramen Go packages that let you microwave something quickly if you really only do have a 15-minute lunch break. And you know, Vite Ramen has been an excellent sponsor. Moore's Law is dead for over a year. They've been good to us. So if you're looking for something like this, be good to them. Click on the link in the description and use the special New Year's Eve holiday code Moore's Law to get 10% off any order and a free package of ramen additionally while supplies last. Go to the link in the description, use the offer code Moore's Law, and buy Vite Ramen today. Quick Jumper writes in and says, analysts and investors predict that by the end of 2023, AMD could reach 30% server market share. Could AMD really reach like 40 or even 50% before Intel gets competitive again? Well, I'm not sure it's competitive. I guess let's just say that's Diamond Rapids because uh, I don't know that Granite will win, but I think it could come close if it comes out in time. Diamond Rapids, end of 2025, early 2026. Do you think AMD could get to 40% server market share by 2026? It's possible. I mean, it was, if 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 Intel needs the software wins in order to um, in order to maintain the momentum, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of large customers that have lost confidence, and um, because it has been so many generations of incremental gains. And it really is going to be make or break. Like the next thing after Sapphire Rapids has to be as much of a gain mm -hmm. from Sapphire Rapids to the next thing as we saw from Ice Lake to Sapphire Rapids. I mean, it is literally insulting if you just, you know, sign the contract for your Ice Lake system that you haven't even taken delivery of yet. And you see how much faster Sapphire Rapids is, but also availability. Like, I don't know if Intel is has lit a fire under the butts of, of companies like Supermicro, but you can take delivery of, of Sapphire Rapid systems really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. And that was not the case with Ice Lake. And um, because... No, Ice, 10 nanometer works now. <laughs> but, you know, Ice Lake is so much slower than Sapphire Rapids. It is, it's shocking. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you know, yeah, the upgrade from, from Naples to Rome was pretty big on AMD's side, but it is breathtaking. From the 8380 to the these the Sapphire Rapids, the 84, you know, 80, and then the Q series is going to be even beyond that. Uh, you know, presumably the big enterprise customers have, have seen that. Uh, and then Intel's got to do it again in the next generation. They have to move that much again in less than 12 months, and that seems well, like so a big bet. Just to like, yeah, like answer that question directly. Like my understanding is. Emerald Rapids comes out hopefully by the end of the year. Um, like it was supposed to be like a so well, what was supposed to happen is Sapphire Rapids was supposed to come out early last year, and then Emerald Rapids was supposed to come out mid this year. But now, because Sapphire Rapids has been pushed back so much, it might come out the same year as Emerald Rapids. Now, Emerald only adds four more cores. It's sixty-four cores, like tweaked cores, not like kind of like Alder Lake to Raptor Lake cores. 
and I assume somewhat better accelerators and clock speeds, but that's it. I think you're looking at like a 20% boost in performance with Emerald over Sapphire this year, and the hope is to have Granite out by quarter two 2024, so next year. So I, I guess what I'm saying is Emerald will not be a doubling <laughs> over Sapphire. It's going to be quite a stopgap, and I keep wondering if they'll just cancel it because it's almost not worth it with how delayed Sapphire is. At the same time, though, a year and a half after Sapphire, Granite is supposed to go up to 128 cores, over double the core counts, probably over Golden Cove, I would say 20% higher IPC, probably at least, you know, and that might not be enough. Well, it's over doubling in eh. performance, but is that enough against 192 core Turin, you know, <laughs> it's probably better than now. 128 versus one, you know, then 60 versus 96. But it it kind of seems like it's like a 20% better situation than now. You you think it, you think it's not enough? AMD's just going to get to probably. We don't know for sure, but yeah, it's a 40%. All all that Intel uh, in in order for that to work for Intel, I think AMD has to have a a misstep. If you look at the average gains from Naples to now. Gen on gen on gen on gen on gen, and you assume that that mm-hmm. happens one more time in the next eighteen months, and it's like mm, <laughs> things are going to be interesting. <laughs> yeah. So if Zen, because so, my understanding is Zen five is supposed to be kind of like a Zen two uplift um, in terms of like they're going, you know, because if you think of Zen four, it's a bigger deal than Zen three, but it's like kind of a Zen three single threading uplift. And then 50% more cores on server, but not on desktop. Yeah. With Turin, I think they're trying to double cores and raise IPC by like 10 to 20% again, like they did from Zen 1 to Zen 2. Yeah. So if that comes out a year late, though, like if that were to come out 2025, I think Granite Rapids will really have a have a chance to cement itself against Genoa and Bergamo. But yeah, if that comes out at the end of next year... You really think 40% is possible this soon? I mean, it seems like that's what would have to happen in order to make all the enterprise customers happy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, now you could get that. You could get that with accelerators, maybe. Like if you have a thing and it's like, hey, just recompile your thing with this thing that we have, and then all of a sudden it's 40% faster. You could get there. You don't have to get there necessarily by making x86. You know, it's like, oh, it's just generically x86 instructions are this much faster you may be able to get there with accelerators but i don't know i mean just think about like generic cloud workload like what is what does amazon need to make ec2 Mm -hmm. go fast what does amazon need to do you know abc xyz i worry intel is super hyper fixated on on amd it seems and Mm -hmm. amd is at least keeping an eye on arm because like look at amazon amazon with their graviton stuff it is legit awesome. And that is the threat. When you look at what Amazon is doing with their compute instances and their database instances and their microservice instances, Graviton ticks all the boxes. Graviton's not the most efficient per watt. It's not the fastest per clock. It's not the best memory bandwidth. It is none of those things. But what it is, is dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... That re- Dur- Sapphire Rapids seems to cost about twice as much per CPU compared to Genoa. If yeah. things keep it at this rate, like when I I leaked how like how Granite Rapids is supposedly organized, and it's like it does not look cheap. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, compared to Turin, which is 
it's getting more expensive, but it's still a, they're sharing chiplets with desktop. They're dividing it up into a bunch of little cores they can bin. Like for, I think it's like up to 44 cores per tile with Granite Rapids. And I'm like, so those are some big tiles. <laughs> like, what the heck are you? Th- You're solving the pr- I was talking to my the co-host of the news episodes of Broken Silicon, Dan, the other day. And I'm like, honestly, it's just like Intel continues to use tiles um, in a way to make the thing bigger, not more economical <laughs> like when you look at genoa it's expensive because of how much silicon it uses but it's cheaper than otherwise it's a bunch of little chiplets that yeah. saves money same with rdna3 even if it falls short of its design goals it's still cheaper to make than lovelace yeah like but with granite rapids 44 core tiles they're just it's almost like they're like well i guess we have to use tiles or we can't add more cores they're not actually <laughs> thinking about it in a way that will save money yeah, maybe maybe the hilarious thing that happens here is uh, Intel is the first to go to four threads per core or something. <laughs> they might be. I'm just I'm just letting you know they might be, <laughs> but it ha- the decision hasn't been decided yet. But one of those upcoming architectures I've been talking about, they're considering. I'll, I'll drop that bombshell here. Um, but obviously, I, the the decision's not made, and AMD has been playing around with it for several generations as well, and just keeps deciding not to. Um, so the, the I don't security know. Pandora's box is just ah. Yeah, <laughs> I think Zen Six versus Diamond Rapids may be very interesting. I get which is Venice is. I guess we'll see. Um, QH Freddy writes in and he says many people seem to complain about the lack of aggression on AMD side in the consumer markets, particularly the GPU side lately. I think this comes mainly down to a failure by these people to recognize the internal competition of these consumer product lines. It's the far higher revenue per wafer of AMD server products. What are your thoughts on this regard? Do you think AMD should be more aggressive right now with their consumer product lines? Or do you think consumers should just accept that consumer products at the end of the day are of secondary importance? Because that's something I'm thinking about. Like, I th- I kind of I'm kind of hearing in lap, like in server, Amy's expected to take decent market share this year. And then but in desktop and laptop, they're kind of expected by the analysts I work with sometimes to tread water, you know? And on the one hand, that's disappointing, but on the other hand, you saying, yeah, you think they could get to 40% market share in a couple of years. The amount of money that would give them to make new consumer products is staggering. I mean, yeah. they would totally have the money to make whatever they want then in two years. They just got to get there first. I mean, do you think QH Freddy's on to something there? I think that the margin for consumer stuff, the consumers are very, very margin sensitive and are very cost sensitive. And so that's going to hurt your margins. And I think that, you know, if you just strictly look at the uh, cost per unit silicon, um, yeah, it makes more sense as uh, for shareholders to for AMD to focus on server stuff, and the other stuff will be be secondary. But in reality, I don't I don't really think it's that I don't think it's that cut and dry. I don't think they're they're a wafer constrained, or at least. Um, you know, AMD has repeatedly said, you know, we're not wafer constrained. So I, I get the feeling that they've got, you know, kind of a backup plan. It's like the plan is we will use this much of our capacity for this. And then if we have another another thing, we'll do this capacity for this or or whatever. Um, so uh, I don't think they're wafer constrained. I think it's really just, you know, time and materials and swim lanes and internal resources to be able to do you know, this, that, and the other. I think they want to keep those mark. Uh, I think if they weren't really serious about it, we would see them, you know, wind down those product lines. 
Mm-hmm. But instead, I think what, what they're doing is focusing on the things where they can make the most money. And that mm-hmm. probably means not a an insane fire-breathing flagship GPU because the, the consumer GPUs are different than the cDNA GPUs. And the cDNA GPUs are coming a long way very rapidly. You know, AMD, I think, sort of recognized that software was, a, was, was sort of a problem. And they've tried to embrace the open source side of software for cDNA. And I don't think that that's really had the, the intended result that they had hoped, which is, mm-hmm. you know, people that have been um, forlorn with the, the CUDA ecosystem. I and mean, certainly all the researchers, any researcher you talk to, it's like, oh, how do you feel about the CUDA ecosystem? And they're like, well, it's a lot of suffering and I really don't like NVIDIA for it, but it works. And, um, but, you know, with Frontier and the other supercomputers, NVIDIA uh, is, you know, losing out on those things at the really highest end meanwhile in uh, amd is using that customer experience to build their products and it sure seems like like for you know i got to talk to um jeff woolsey from microsoft uh, about their adoption of genoa and um the the theme from him was was very spooky in how similar it was to some of the other folks that i've talked to Mm. that you know because oak ridge is just right down the road and uh uh, some of those folks is like AMD is very, they want to listen to us is like, how do you work? What do you, you know, how do you do this? And it's blah, blah, blah. And it's got a lot of really smart people that know all the stuff they're, they're talking about, but they don't come in and they don't say, this is how you should do this. It is tell us how you work. What can we do to make your life easier? And that was, that was basically what the guy from Microsoft was saying. And, uh, and he's like, look, we, we made all of our problems with InfiniBand go away. And we made all of our problems with, you know, uh, they've got a 200 gig their azure thing is like 200 gig infiniband for their high performance compute it's nice and uh microsoft's architecture for how they do things is even better than google compute i think in in terms of the back end google compute is made to be as big and generic as possible whereas microsoft is like well you know what we might have some customers that want to build their entire cluster in azure and we should probably build it to be able to deal with that and where google google compute will fall apart Mm -hmm. if you try to do that azure works pretty well for that and um, because of that, you know, because AMD is not coming in to tell Microsoft how to build Azure with their products, it's like, how would you do this? Um, and, you know, Frontier is kind of the same way as researchers. How would you do this? I think AMD is, is learning a lot about how to build the software parts of that in a way that is maybe more sustainable. And maybe it, maybe you could call it a little bit more blue collar than what, what Intel is doing with um with uh, one API and, and, and their programming approach, but it could be more successful in the long run because mm-hmm. of, of what they're doing and how all that, how all that goes together. So does, does, does that mean that I think the CDNA will eventually go back to the consumer? No, but if you're looking at the nuts and bolts of how CDNA is put together and how RDNA is put together and how they service data on a clock and how their rendering engine is and blah, 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 there is a lot of, it's a lot of intermingling, interrelationship stuff, stuff that I wish I understood better and had better insight into. Some of it is special sauce and they don't, they don't really want to talk about. But um, it does seem like there's a lot of lessons learned from RDNA incorporated in cDNA and vice versa. But ultimately, the silicon is designed with different goals in mind. Meanwhile, NVIDIA doesn't have that affliction and or advantage. 
Um, Dermes writes in and says, hello, Wendell and Tom. Can you talk about AMD's GPUs and workstation, particularly and insights with insights and predictions about near future viability and competitiveness? It's really tough out here with no alternative to CUDA. This is something I've heard too, and something I always hear from my contacts is AMD is getting better. They're still not there. Yeah. But it sounds like you think, well, that's true every year. They really are seeing the, the worry when I hear that is, well, are they really building towards something or not? And you seem to think they are. Rock M5 has closed the gap significantly, and it is it has closed the gap on CUDA so rapidly that um, NVIDIA is going to have to do some really interesting things in the next couple of generations to um uh, to maintain their insane captured first mover advantage thing mm-hmm. with that cdna is is very good at cdna if cdna weren't very good it wouldn't be uh as prevalent as it is for the top in the top 500 supercomputer list of the world the problem is that you have to be a computer science PhD in order to use it. That was yeah. that was true on day one. That's much less true now with uh, Rock M and um, Zen DNN. Uh, AMD is going to have some big Zen, Zen DNN announcements in the next couple of weeks, I think. And it'll be interesting to see what the researchers that have Stockholm Syndrome from uh, the CUDA ecosystem <laughs> think about where AMD is headed with uh, with Zen, Zen DNN because. You have things, uh, you have the, the capability of doing AI things on CPU for things that don't work well on GPU. Like we have a mm-hmm. lot of AI that runs great on GPU and it scales well on GPU, but branchy code and other certain types of code don't really work well on, 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 on GPU type compute structures in silicon from what I understand. And the, the best of both worlds is an insanely high bandwidth connection between GPU compute units and CPU compute units and being able to cache things in the interconnect and blah, blah, blah. And that's that's what they've designed with Infinity Fabric, and that's what's at the heart of supercomputers. The problem is that it's not, they don't necessarily have the software ready to go for everybody to be able to use it. And I gather that there's some hesitation in open sourcing literally all of that because it's like, ooh, that might be a competitive advantage to NVIDIA immediately which would only let them cement their position even more because we're basically mm-hmm. giving away our, our secret sauce. I don't know that to be true, but I get that. You know, there's little details like that that leak out around some of the way that AMD phrases things with CDNA and the stuff that they make available and blah, blah, blah. If you start today and you want to do interesting stuff with Rock M, you totally can. Um, but I think that Perhaps one mistake that AMD has made is assuming that the people that are interested in in Rock M are all hardcore programmers. You'd be surprised mm-hmm. how many researchers are not hardcore programmers. There's a lot of people that hang out in their forum that are like, I've got my PhD in this. This is what I want to do my research on. I don't really want to futz around with a computer. It's like I don't they just they don't have the same passion that I do, which is surprising because they show up and it's like, this thing that you're working on is amazing. And they're like, oh, I know. I love working on it. And it's like, tell me about your machine. And they're like, I don't care. I just want to hit the hit a button and have my research go. And yeah. beyond that, I do not care. And it's like... I've talked to a lot of AI researchers that sound like that. Yeah. It's just like, I, I just... Let me press the button and run the simulation and then find ways to make the testing better. I don't want to be a computer engineer. I want to be a testing methodology engineer, basically. Yeah. yeah. And... And so I, I think AMD has, has learned that lesson, but it might have taken four or five versions of Rock M <laughs> to get there. Because the people that are working at Oak Ridge, 
those are the people that are passionate about everything. They're like, okay, can we can we reduce this into so that this is one less R op and this is one less micro op and let's move this over here so that this thing does that while this. And so AMD's profiling tools for stuff like that are, I think, some of the best in the business. But and it, it's it's you know they sort of fly under the radar because they're so low level and they're so they're so brass tacks that those kind of researchers are like, I don't know what this is telling me. And it's like, well, this is telling you that if in your loop where you're looping through this, if you go ahead and preload the next thing, it's going to speed it up by over 5,000%. And they're like, Oh, okay. But you know, they don't care. They're just like, you make it go. It's like, all right. <laughs> well, it's interesting. You said Stockholm syndrome, like how much of CUDA's advantage re- really just is that they're in the lead and how much of it is like, you know, it's the inertia you copy because, because I've, yeah. you know, I hear people say, oh, CUDA works better, but I don't know if they've tried AMD for the past three years. It sounds like you're kind of saying AMD's already there. It just needs to get used. Yeah, it, it is. It is there in a lot of ways. It does need to get used. Rockham 5.3. Um, I did a test project with Rockham 5.3. I'm trying to figure out a way to turn this into a video. There's not enough hours in the day. And it's very hard to monetize this this kind of content in a way where it's like, oh, it was definitely worth spending 400 hours working on that. Look at the views of my Xeon leak compared to my AMD CES video. <laughs> I know. And it's I'm always just like, Tom, are you really going to do another Xeon leak? Because for some reason, people don't seem to care as often. But I know it's a good video. I know it's a good video. I would, I would, so. I would much rather do, a, do an interview thing where it's like, I know that this thing exists. Just come on and let's talk about this thing that you're doing because it exists and, and it is really cool. And um, uh, I, I did a I did a very small project with um, Rockham 5.3. And it totally was the case that I just did a search and replace for CUDA functions into Rockm functions, mm. and it worked, and it was fine, and it was totally oh, wow. okay. But you see other things on the internet where people are trying to get, um, you know, stable diffusion running on RDNA, and it's like, well, you can, but it's not. You really need CDNA, and sixty-four bit is going to be a problem. And it doesn't really, you know, you're going to, there's a, there's an if, and there's an and, and there's a, but, and there's a, well, and, uh, you know, it really is an advantage for NVIDIA that you can run a lot of the CUDA stuff, you know, on a 3090 and a 3090 is basically, basically unlocked, mm-hmm. but you know, hot take, uh, you know, when AMD or, you know, when NVIDIA launched the Titan, the one that had the unlocked floating point 64, mm-hmm. but it was $1,500. That was less than half the cost of the professional card that had unlocked floating point 64 that also ran slower. Uh, I think the, the suits inside of AMD, or inside of NVIDIA, weren't actually interested in seeing if people would buy a product like that. I think they were interested in seeing if people could just buy a $1,500 GPU. An enthusiast would be willing to part with $1,500 to buy a GPU. And because they were... The GPUs have gotten more expensive oh, yeah. every generation and worse. But you unlock these developer features because, well, then they can tell themselves it's for that too, or yeah. something, or just get that extra little bit of like mind share telling you it's a good product or something. Yeah. And every successive generation, up to and including the 4090, they've taken more stuff away and made it way crappier. And the price has also gone up. 
Mm-hmm. So the whole the 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 unlock floating point sixty four Titan card is still a good card. I, there are there are uh, there's uh, there's a couple university professors that I know for their research and students that are still buying those cards on eBay mm-hmm. for their students because that is the best deal to get for students. And then don't get me into the whole licensing thing. Like Nvidia is like, well, you can't run a GPU, a consumer GPU, in a data center because you know we need our licensing money for that. Just it's very unpalatable. And researchers are clued into that and they don't like it, but what are you gonna do? Not use mm-hmm. CUDA? Yeah, so it's interesting. I kind of want to like move into like something I stumbled into in my recent video talking about upcoming products like HEDT, or really they're both saying HEDT is dead at this point. Like they call it workstation now, which I kind of agree. It's is a 32 core higher product, really. HEDT, it feels more like a workstation product. Um, but I think a lot of people are complaining that AMD hasn't launched a truly next-gen Threadripper line next to yeah. their existing gen for a very long time now. Um, and then when I look at genuinely like Intel's planning to launch a 24-core workstation product now, then a 34-core, up to 34, I believe it is, workstation product later this year in that same socket probably. And then they're going to launch a Redwood Cove plot, a Redwood a Redwood Plus Cove, I think is how you're supposed to say it. Um, 86 core workstation product uh, in AMD might, everything we're seeing is, and this is literally one quote I've been told is, AMD will be lucky, you will be lucky if AMD launches a Zen 4th Red Ripper this year, maybe the first half of next year. Do you think this is something AMD has to watch out for that Intel can really just go in and take back the HEDT market again because AMD's ignoring it. And then I this I also kind of want to springboard this into a conversation about like roadblocks to market share for AMD in different markets as well. Because it seems like we agree they're going to get to unheard of server market share for the size of the company. But like, where does it stop for laptop, HEDT, desktop? Like, where are they maybe neglecting it too much? Or are they not? And are they just doing the correct surgical strikes when they need to? This piece of content is brought to you by Silver Knight PCs. Silver Knight PCs is a disabled, veteran-owned GPU and CPU retailer, PC repair shop, and boutique PC builder that is located in Fayetteville, North Carolina, but they ship globally, so if you are in the area, drop by their location to pick up reasonably priced components to upgrade your PC and know that all of these components come with up to a three-year warranty, and even refurbished products have warranties on them, and you can trade in your own parts for refurbishment as well, or contact them online and ask them about anything else you want them to do for you, including building a custom PC designed just for you. They're very easy to talk to. The owner of the company even sat down with me for a broken silicon last year and had a candid conversation about GPU shortages during the GPU shortages. They really are on the side of the consumer and they really do put a lot of effort into making everything they sell the best it can be for their buyers. And I know this from firsthand experience. I got my RTX 49 Supreme Liquid, the one that I am using to render this video in my PC here, and before sending it, they upgraded the thermal paste and thermal pads, and, well, you can watch the process online. It's actually really cool, and the thing, well, I can tell you that it just doesn't get hot no matter how much power I let the dang thing use, and I can let it use a lot of power. So whether you're in the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, and you want to pop in to buy a graphics card, or you want to custom order something from them online, click the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 6% off all orders using this offer code BROKENSILICON. 
Silicon helps me a lot and it helps them. And I am genuinely happy to finally get their sponsorship as they really are a business that I can stand by as high quality and of genuine reliability. Go to Silver Knight PCs and use offer code BROKENSILICON today. I, uh, I'm a little worried about the Threadripper aspect of it and, you know, the launch in 2024 because, uh, you know, okay, Threadripper only for pros, I kind of get. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, this is a processor for enthusiasts? Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, are we really going to see a 12-channel desktop board for enthusiasts? Probably not. The, the people that can afford that are already the people that are using their computer exactly. to make money. So that's fine. But... You know, I had one of the factories, or I know somebody, blah, 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 but, and, and they said that they're already producing the Sapphire Rapid socket desktop boards. Like, they're already mm -hmm. in production. Oh, and, they should be. They're supposed to come out, I think, within a few months or something. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I gather that the factory is using Sapphire Rapid CPUs or modified or mm -hmm. unlocked or whatever Sapphire Rapid CPUs to do their qualifications. And so that could be a depending on the pricing that could be a like, that could be bad news for AMD. I'm, I've got a fifty nine seventy five X system. I like it. It's very fast. Mm -hmm. It's very. It's awesome. Love it. Uh, it is scary how much faster you know seven thousand series AMD is, and it is scary how much faster per core Sapphire Rapids is. And I think all of the silicon that. Intel is producing that doesn't meet the power requirements of mm -hmm. Sapphire Rapids, even though it's, you know, 400 watts a socket. Uh, I don't think 400 watts a socket is anyone cares on high-end mm -hmm. desktop. If you're, you know, somebody in Hollywood and you're doing visual effects and you're doing blah, 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 don't think, don't think you care if it's 500 watts a socket. I just don't think it matters. It's not running 24-7. It just needs to get this Terminator scene done yeah. in two hours, please. Yeah, and so that that could be bad news for new sales of that. That said, the VFX industry is not buying new workstations, uh, you know, every generation. And we know that for third and fifth generation, or 3,000 series and 5,000 series, Threadripper Pro CPUs, AMD was basically selling them as fast as they could make them. Mm -hmm. I gather that maybe the 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 5,000 series um, Threadripper Pro CPUs didn't sell maybe as well as they expected, maybe. But mm -hmm. they could be doing really well, too, because, you know, I don't know. The the stock is generally available. That's the thing that I sort of like, keep an eye on. It's like, can you, can you buy one? And you totally can buy one. And you can totally buy Sapphire Rapids motherboards right now. But it's still a little bit of a challenge to buy Genoa motherboards. Like, if you just want to go to CDW or, mm -hmm. or, you know, some random website and order a Genoa motherboard, a little bit of a challenge. Well, so... I, and and that's what I wonder though is like is AMD just doing the math and they're like honestly these HEDT people they upgrade like every few years and we have the market so let's just hit it when we're gonna hit it really hard every three years but if they don't they're they're kind of due to do it though this year <laughs> and if they don't I don't know it's like twenty four core Sapphire Rapids it it's just it's gonna come down to the price because it's not gonna beat Milan and multi threading of course. Um, but it, but then I also wonder like, well, if it's going to come down to the price, I'm pretty sure the 34 core fish Hawk falls dies like almost seven. It's, it's like 700 millimeters squared. That can't be cheap. <laughs> so like, and let, and then I go, well, Intel's margins are bad. So it, it's good. I think it's gonna be really interesting because I think the Redwood Cove 
plus version. That one's a threat to AMD big time. They got 86 cores. They're blocking, breaking it up into tiles, six memory channels. That could be an issue for Threadripper if they don't have Zen 4 out by then. But at the same time, until then, if Intel launches a 24 core that costs three grand, is that really going to stop people from getting Milan X Threadrippers? I don't know about that, right? Yeah, probably not. And uh, there's a... The, the other aspect of that is there was a lot of people on our forum that got weirdo PCIe cards off of AliExpress that basically give you, give you more USB ports and uh, it's like two or three USB controllers on a PCIe card and something else I'm trying to remember. And that would turn your Milan or your Milan X motherboard into something vaguely workstation-ish. Like they just mm-hmm. got tired of waiting for... The 5000 series Threadrippers. Oh, so they got the next-gen USB support and all of that, yeah. you're saying. So they're just like, I'm going to take a server board, and I'm just going to, you know, because the price difference, there's not really mm-hmm. a huge price difference, 32-core Threadripper Pro versus 32-core, you know, F-series CPU. It's like, oh, it's $1,000 more. That sounds like a lot for the CPU, but when you consider the entire cost of the system is about ten grand. It's like a ten grand versus eleven grand. I don't care. And they just built their system based around Milan instead of waiting for Threadripper. And there are people right now that are on the forum that are like, I can't buy a motherboard. I can't buy a motherboard. I can't buy a motherboard. And they're just rocking back and forth in their chair because they're like, I can, my supplier can get me a CPU. I can get a Genoa CPU. I got the CPU that I want and it's $4,000 and I can't get a board. And, uh, you know, they're just, they're just gearing up to do exactly the same thing where they just don't even wait. They're just, they just, (laughs) they build a server and stick it under their desk and they're like, that's my workstation. Yeah. I think, I think what I'm hoping AMD is going to do this year is they understand they have an opportunity here to take a large chunk of the server market right before Intel starts being truly competitive again. And so they're just going to go for it and say, sorry to the HEDT people for the most part. But Sienna has four chiplets on it, uh, four core chiplets, and it's meant to use four uh, 16-core Zen 4C chiplets for 64 cores. It's a lot cheaper platform, but I know they designed it to use standard Zen 4 chiplets as well. So my suspicion is, in the meantime, they'll be like, hey, look, if you want 64 cores, Milan's here, Milan X is here in Threadripper, and it's way cheaper than Intel. And it's, you know, I mean, what, 30, 40% worse than a Zen 4 would be for half the price. This is all we're going to have this year for sourcing reasons. But if you want that 24 or 34 core Fishhawk Falls, we've got a Sienna-based Threadripper system with 32 Zen 4 X3D cores or something. This one, well, I mean, I know you wish we were selling you 96 cores right now, but are you really going to get a 24-core Fishhawk Balls over a 32-core Red Ripper system that's cheaper? Probably not. So that's, and I think we just have to, I don't want to say accept, but it's like, I just don't think they want to go with 96 cores on Red Ripper until they have Bergamo, Bergamo out and all of these other things, because it's that's just more important. Um there's definitely something like that going on because the price of the the 5000 series Threadripper Pro hasn't really moved. Even though it's generally available, it's not less. Whereas the 7950X has come down in price substantially since launch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a similar thing's going on with laptop, too, where, like, 
They only have so much money for laptop designs. They know Intel just did a fire sale on Alder Lake last year, and OEMs probably don't even want to design new AMD laptops this year. And I think if you look at Dragon Range, that uses Zen 4 desktop chiplets. So whenever OEMs are ready to accept AMD CPUs and laptops again in high volume, AMD's like, not only do we have Phoenix, but we also have Zen 3 Plus. We also have Zen 2 products, and we also can just make laptop chips out of our desktop chiplets for extra volume. So I feel like I'm hoping that's what's going on with laptop as well when we don't see a bunch of design wins in the beginning of this year is they, they're just trying to gear up to take it when they can. But if they can get to 40% market share in server right now, that's what's going to give their company money for years to come to really go for everything without taking risk. It's really risky if they were to go for like desktop right now and they don't take as much server market share as they could take. Yeah, I think uh, I think it is likely that that AMD is going to capture more server because most people buying server are not buying at the top of the stack and the availability of both Milan and Genoa in the market means that at whatever price point you're shopping for, you're going to be covered. Mm -hmm. Um, And for any OEMs, you know, it wouldn't if if AMD is not super interested in the margins right now for mobile, it would make sense to go to somebody that mass produces laptops, probably not like an Asus, but like one of those one of those companies that like basically OEM it for everybody for every every like name brand, but not name brand. But, you know, they make it go to mm-hmm. one of those companies and say, hey, we'll basically sell these things to you for as low a cost as we possibly can, but you're going to have to help the OEMs build out the system and do all the details and blah, 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 because all of our people are busy propping up Mm. the server market and all these other swim lanes that we've opened and, and blah, blah, blah. And I think that, that we see that a little bit, but there were a couple laptops demo to CES that had really incredible battery life and really, really incredible performance. I mean, Alder Lake is not as bad at the low end of the power curve as, some people make it out to be raptor lake is mm-hmm. not as strangely seems like it's worse maybe that was just tuning but um it seems that 65 watts raptor lake is significantly better than alder lake but then higher up it's more power for more performance and then maybe at the bottom it's not that much of a needle move which i think is yeah. a 10 nanometer to 10 nanometer it's not that surprising yeah it, it almost looks like it flips at around the 65 the 65 watt mark because if you if you're running like one of those 15 or 25 watt parts it looks like the 13th gen is using more power for some reason than the 12th gen and then the crossover point is like well 65 watts you get more performance for the same power and then it just and then it's more power more performance beyond that Mm -hmm. um and i don't know what that's about but uh there are there are a couple of I'm, i'm watching closely to see how if and how they pull it off um for those uh, those wins in laptop because AMD's also got their new chipset that does Thunderbolt, and so mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of little things that make me think that 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 AMD is challenged when it comes to software engineering and software engineering talent because the it's the ten can't remember the PCIe ID sixteen it's the AMD's PCIe ID and then sixteen E E EF I think is the PCIe ID it's their USB four controller it's labeled mm-hmm. AMD. But it can do PCIe tunneling, and you have the options now in the Agiza for PCIe tunneling. PCIe tunneling's Thunderbolt, basically. But you can't call it Thunderbolt because Intel will come after you. But it is—it's uh, the open parts of the Thunderbolt protocol, which is, you know, PCIe over USB-C. 
Well, that's the tunneling part is tunneling the USB, the PCIe protocol over that. That opens like that's all related to server technologies, like putting PCIe over things that it wasn't meant to go over when like CXL. It's like, oh, this is a PCIe slot. It's like, well, it's a CXL capable PCIe slot. It's not the same thing at the protocol level. Um, but, uh, you know, so all this all this desktop server laptop stuff is all related when you're at that low of a level. And I, you know, they enabled some Thunderbolt PCIe tunneling stuff in their chipset driver a couple of months ago, but it's not, it's nowhere near done. It's not done at all. Mm -hmm. I just got the minis forum HX 99 G, which is based around the 6,000, 6,600 M, um, GPU plus the 6,900 XT is the eight core. And it is, it's 200 Watts. You know, they got it. They've pulled every lever to make it use as much power as possible and put good cooling on it. And it's, it is breathtaking performance for a mobile chipset. It's like, dang, if you can get a laptop based on this, this would be crazy. Mm-hmm. But right, because like with Phoenix, it's Zen four on four nanometer. I yeah. mean, this thing is gonna blow Intel away. Yeah, exactly. In eight versus eight core performance at twenty five watts or somewhere around there. But the Thunderbolt part of it is so far has been the most interesting aspect to me because the Thunderbolt stuff is all there, all the plumbing is there. But everything is deliberately disabled in software and they do everything they can to hide it from you. But it's all there. And you can, I kind of was able to sort of force it to initialize at least, but the, the initialization stuff is, uh, is, 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 is turned off right now for Mm -hmm. some reason. So this thing has two USB-C ports that theoretically maybe possibly someday can enable PCIe, but the enablement, the, the bits that you need in the BIOS to do some stuff are gone. The platform stuff that you need is gone. The PCIe tunneling options are hidden. You have to unhide those. And I don't know why they would do that because they demoed the PCIe functionality. I think HP demoed a laptop mm-hmm. with that on AMD's chipset. And so little things, little, little things like that make me think, mm, is AMD facing some engineering uh, bandwidth, bandwidth challenges? Bandwidth, yeah. yeah, it's like... What's- well, I think one thing to remember too, and we see like how many design wins AMD gets with their mobile chips so far is if you actually look it up, like Raptor Lake is it's been made since, you know, last year it's dropping compatible with Alder Lake. There's not a lot of work to get it into new laptops. And like it's that's why they're in there now. Whereas AMD's Dragon Range um you is a new thing. And even if Phoenix is compatible, if you look it up, they're actually not shipping it, I think, until March, which means the laptop designs won't be done until like April or May. And if you look at AMD's CES presentation, HP's like, we're going to have a lot of announcements in a few months. (laughs) And I think a lot of this looking at like AMD design wins right now is I don't think their laptop products are ready until quarter two anyways. And that's why OEMs are like... We're not talking about AMD yet because we got to get rid of all the right guys. <laughs> I really, I, I'm, I've got, I've got a couple questions out to the minis forum folks to ask them. So they had the the HX nine or they had that HX ninety, which is the five thousand series. And my question to them was to ask them or their OEM, you know, how much work went into retooling that for the six thousand series? Because if if AMD is has gone to their their laptop partners and said, look, five thousand series is good. We're going to do a one, two, three cadence the same way that we do with everything else. Cause that seems to be what they do is like a one, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. And that could solve that problem. If AMD is trying to set up the mobile swim lane to be the one, two, three swim lane where they go to their hardware partners and like design a really kick-ass laptop and we will make it super easy for you to drop in the two and the three 
You're going to do That's all the work. That's what I think they're one. doing. Yeah. Yeah. So one is going to be a huge pain in the butt. And it's like, this isn't going to be available to March. And then we're not going to see laptops ship until, you know, back to school in August. That's one. Then two is as soon as those chips won't even be, you know, as mm-hmm. soon as they come back from Germany, they're not even going to be cooled off. You could just solder them right into your laptop and it'll work. And will AMD be able to deliver on that from an engineering standpoint and be able to do that for second and third gen with minimal laptop revisions? And maybe that's why they're getting the plumbing in place for Thunderbolt and why they're getting the plumbing in place for the mobile discrete GPU Mm. stuff being the way that it is and the the other internal stuff and power delivery and blah, blah, blah. So this this would be two then, right? If it's 7000 series or three, I don't know. I think this is possibly three. I'm not sure. Cause I think I, well, I know, and here's the funny thing. I know that Navi 33, uh, it, that they just announced the 7,600 MXT. That is 100% compatible apparently with the 60, you know, 700 M and all of those, or no 60, whatever Navi 23 was those ones. Well, I don't know laptop names that well. And like to the point, same memory bus power profile, amount of ram chips it literally if you have a 6000 series mid-range laptop they want you to be able to just put the new one in and it'll be cheaper too and it makes sense they would be doing this with ddr5 so they didn't quite they weren't able to quite pull this off with ddr4 so ddr5 is like the 6000 is the first one we were able to do this yeah and so one two three one two three and And that's why six thousand had so many different designs because they were new it's new they needed to make new designs for it i think phoenix is supposed to just drop in um and i don't know if strix is three i actually think strix may be starting over at least it sounds very elaborate like there's three subgroups of it it's got more tiles Mm. than meteor lake (laughs) it's like they're they're going for mobile performance with strix big time no more of this just eight cores and we make the graphics better like they're going for it and i i just wonder too if they're like hey we're not doing new designs this year because strix is the big one so you know why (laughs) and there's why bother but at a minimum if they're not doing that you'd think their next acquisition should be some engineering company that can (laughs) get someone to work with oems for you because this is clearly a bottleneck yeah or or just buy one of the oems that builds laptops it's like why it's like we don't want to get into that business it's like well just buy a controlling stake in it or something mm-hmm. yeah um all right so that's pretty much most of what i wanted to talk about here if you've got the time i've got a few more reader mails i'd throw your way yeah sure okay so bacon house collective writes in and says when do you think project server grade cpus will break the six gigahertz clock speed barrier with this in mind do you feel we will still see a shrinking or widening in clock speed gap between server and consumer as nodes improve i'm analyzing the future of cloud-based gaming models and i wonder whether enthusiast market moves towards home do-it-yourself cloud-based gaming servers as a replacement for these services so i think he's talking about how like in server especially when we move to three and then two nanometer we might see more clock speed regressions in these dense high core count server parts and then it seems like at home though we're just all of a sudden we're at six gigahertz and we couldn't get past four (laughs) for the longest time like are we going to see more truncating and the types of programs we can even kind of do well from the cloud yeah well if you have clock speed regressions in the cloud you're going to get more done per clock there will never be a performance regression Mm -hmm. um so it's like yeah you don't have a six gigahertz server part but that's also maybe an indi- indication of how unhealthy things are or a portent of things to come because we are seeing four plus gigahertz server parts, you know, mm-hmm. higher clock speeds, more silicon stress, more wear and tear, 
you know, 24 seven is it use or has the quality control gotten to the point where it's like, Oh yeah, no, this is totally fine. No, you read some of the reports coming out of Google. It's, it's sort of horrifying. It's like, Oh, we have individual cores that malfunction in a given CPU. And now we have to sort of track that. Um, so I think server side for reliability, they're always going to be as conservative as they possibly can be with clock speed. And they will always design for power efficiency and the lowest possible clock they can get away with. And yeah, sure, there'll be applications that are poorly designed that don't scale well across hmm. cores, but you know, that's you know, that's neither here. And there'll be specialty applications that software licensing shenanigans drives too. It's like we really do need, you know, an eight core five gigahertz CPU because that's how things are licensed is per core. But you know, eventually the VMware drove some of that. They're like, oh, well, 64 cores, that's, that's, just, that's yeah, two CPUs. And it's like, well, what if they're, they're half, what if I've got the 7713? That's not very fair because the 7713 is not a super fast CPU. It's, it's okay, but it's not, it's not the same as the 7763 or 7763X. And VMware is like, oops, that error is in our favor. It doesn't matter. It's like, come on now, guy. But uh, yeah, six, I was really disappointed when I saw that happen after <laughs> Naples came out. Uh, but sixty, you know, six gigahertz, six gigahertz at home—that's totally fine. And then, and you know, we don't care about five nines at home, and you know, we want it to be as fast as possible, and blah blah blah. So I, that's that's fine. And then what was the was something about like cloud gaming? It's like you can already cloud game if you use uh, you can do DIY. Like I do the Steam and home streaming with computers that are not in my home, and it is glorious. Yeah, and I, I almost wonder if, like, what we're really going to see is, like, it just matters if you care about the efficiency or not. Like, Because I think there may be two versions of Zen 5, like one on N4X and one on N3. And they're like, yeah, this is the highest core count version. It goes to 3, 4 gigahertz on server. And then it's literally the same architecture with half the cores per chiplet, and they go to 6 gigahertz because you guys don't care if this uses 200 watts at home. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what I think they're going to start doing as some nodes become more dense and some become faster. Yeah. Um, Chris Rich writes in and says, well, the MI300 is obviously a successor to the MI200 series. Might it be better thought of as a new parallel platform to Epic? For example, the reference design that AMD showed had three sets of CDNA compute, one set of Zen 4 compute that had 24 cores. But based on what AMD has said before, they could just easily make a configuration with four sets of Zen 4 cores, giving it a total of 96, the same as Genoa, but with 128 gigabytes of HPM3 memory paired the CXL-based memory. That could make for an interesting server for a number of scenarios. Do you see any other interesting uses for MI300 or the packaging technology behind it? I think MI300 is... Um, I, what I read into that is that AMD feels like they're very successful with their um, high-performance compute supercomputers type customers. Because... Those customers have already had that for a long mm -hmm. time now. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And it's like, oh, MI300. And it's like, well, yeah, but okay, that's new. And the, the, the stuff it's being packaged into it is new, but the architecture is not new. And it, my read of it is that they were successful enough with that in Frontier and other supercomputers that they think they can commercialize it, which probably means that they're pretty successful with it. So, product that's launching is going to be a second generation product and i think that that'll be that'll be really good um the last time i saw something like this happen was with graviton when when nobody nobody realizes it but when amazon launched graviton 
they had actually already been using Amazon for all of the services, not all the services, but a lot of the services that Amazon had. You can't tell what CPU you're running where you're just like, give me a PostgreSQL mm-hmm. instance and then here's my here's my URL and my port and my password and my other thing. And some of the microservices, they were running Graviton there for many, many years. And they used all of that data to figure out what they needed to put into the next generation of Graviton. And that was the first one where it's like, hey, look, we got ARM. We got ARM instances. Let's see how it works. And that's why everybody's mind was blown about how good it was is because they dogfooded their own product and put a lot of tweaks into it and made it really good. And I, th- I think that's what AMD has done with that packaging for MI300. And they've been dogfooding it for like five years and because of that, I expect it to be really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Robert S. Barnes writes in and says, Hi, guys. How close are we to a situation where we have a generic substrate and then can just order custom heterogeneous compute chips however we want on top of it? For example, I'd like 16 cores of Zen 4. I'd like 32 work groups of CDNA 3, an FPGA, and an AI interf- inference accelerator, and 64 gigabytes of HBM3, please, all on the same, subset, same substrate in the same socket. With the super APU that was shown off at CES, we seem pretty close to this. And this is something I keep wondering, too, is when are we going to get to the hamburger future of AMD where HP goes, you know what? Our flagship R9s come with this unit, this unit, and we're actually going to have less cores, but double the gaming compute units. Like, how close are we to that for, like, server or for OEM customers? I think Sci-Fi would like to add that guy to their mailing list. (laughs) Because that's kind of the vision. I think that's my understanding of the vision for sci five and risk five is that you can do that kind of all oh, yeah. a la carte stuff and, and, and do your own thing. Uh, for, for everybody else, the market is what will have to drive that. And so game companies and, and other companies would have to present the use case for that. I don't think it'll come to fruition exactly that way. I think it'll, it'll be more, um, the general architecture of the system sort of drives us that way as we bump into walls with the kinds of things that we can accelerate for computing, for games, lower latency, whatever we need to do for ray tracing. It's like, oh, well, we have ray tracing accelerators built into the CPU. Well, we have ray tracing it, you know, built into ABC XYZ. There's a, there's a, you know, from some of the people that have, have talked to me about their day job and how they work in, in the industry on these things, it seems like what's happening, it's been happening for the last couple of years, is a revolution in tooling. Mm-hmm. tooling to have better insight into what the heck the computer is doing because there's so many moving parts we've lost track of it all there's so much that the operating system is responsible for there's so much that the software is responsible for some of the software is happening on the cpu on different cores multi-thread programming is hard some of it is happening on the gpu blah 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 and so to to directly attack the kinds of things that are and that are, are contemplated by that question um I think that you have to have better tooling to have better insight into those things. And I think that because Intel's poor tooling has, yeah. is very poor is why they needed so many steppings of Sapphire Rapids and AMD's tooling. That's true. And like Ponte Vecchio is yeah. so god dang late, but it's because it's complicated and then testing it and, you know. Yeah, and, and it's like you don't have tools to do all of that in an automated kind mm. of kind of a way. Meanwhile, it's like there was there was that thing that came out that said, oh, AMD is using A0 stepping for their GPUs. Well, that's the one that worked. Probably. And it's like, oh, that's why the thing. And it's like, how good is their tooling that they're able to do an A0 stepping 
Meanwhile, you know, in, Intel, by all accounts, world leading technology person is doing. <laughs> yeah, there, <laughs> there's certainly two ways to make that argument. You could say, well, yeah, we we made a working product that costs. And again, m- maybe it fell short of what they wanted. But at the end of the day, they have with the 7900 XTX, something that costs less to make than the 4080 that competes with the 4080. So they were able to do that on a zero and it takes Intel a thousand steppings to still lose <laughs> yeah. a year late, you know? So yeah. that's a, that's a good point, but you're right. Like to have custom chips, like I know it on paper, it sounds like, well, we're just a hamburger, but it's like, you'd still have to then put those chips together in this exact combination to make sure it works. Yeah. Would more steppings be required? And you'd have to have, yeah, such automated tooling to test out every combination anyways. And then I, I think there's like three ways to have custom chips. There's the super high volume way with like the PS5 where they're like, Sony's like, we'll, we'll pay the $10 million for the hard design for you to custom design this, man. It's worth the money. But then you have the really low volume custom chips like the Steam Deck where it's not really a custom chip. They just have this design laying around and it happened to work for them. And then there's the middle where they like maybe disable things and stuff. I think you have to ask yourself, if HP wanted a custom SoC, can they not afford as much money as Sony to have it designed? Maybe not quite, but probably close that they could, actually. I don't know. And so this hamburger future would basically rely on customers like Razer and, you know, not HP or Sony, but also bigger than Valve. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. To want to be able to custom order things that they probably could have just modified things on the shelf already cheaper. I, uh, I, I, it's at an, at a, at an event um where a bunch of people were at i got to ask one of the engineers i won't tell you for which company and i and i asked them i was like hey has anybody tried just you know when when am i going to see a cpu where we don't even have memory like apple's already putting the system memory on the package and it's mm. not upgradable are we going to are we going to see that in pc land like am i going to have but is it going to be like hbm or something that's actually really fast cuz i i would love to have some terabyte per second hbm memory like 64 gigabytes and you know let's let's see if windows still runs real slow with that and and he sort of leaned over and he said we already did that it wasn't great so and and i took away from that that the software is just so awful and so unoptimized and like dealing with that on the software side basically makes things like that untenable right now that might not be true next year and it might not be true five years from now but right now the software has just got awful well so that's the interesting thing though i know I have to be very careful about this one. I know one company is working on this ability to have like gigabytes of cash on a chip, right? And you, I don't think I'm giving too much away by being that nonspecific because probably all of these companies are working on that. But like, it's that type of a thing. The way they do it's novel is really what it is. But, you know, isn't that like if we could do that though, like, because I've, I've, I had on Dave Eggleston, who's like been a VP at Global Foundries and Micron. And, you know, he's, he's a guy who's like a memory expert. And I'm like, isn't the Holy Grail like the PS5, you know, made the SSD kind of act like RAM? Wouldn't the Holy Grail, even if it's expensive, be just like a terabyte of cash? <laughs> no storage, no RAM. Programmers can be as lazy as they want. It's all coming out of cash, anyways. Like, wouldn't like wouldn't trying to find a way to do that be the holy grail though for like a next gen console that like st- skips several steps again? It in the specific case of cash, as the cash increases, so also uh, is the uh, latency. 
Mm-hmm. And so the latency increases even for the things that are relatively close. So you lose a lot of cycles for the quick things as well as the slow things. So you, it, it would be good if things didn't already have a level of optimization. But things already do have kind of a level of optimization, which, which helps a lot. And so, um, and that's why with the 3D Vcache on the 5000 series Ryzen, not everything benefited. Games mm-hmm. were a large enough workload that they, they benefit, but a lot of other things had already been optimized for the, ca- the available cache footprints to the point that it didn't, you didn't really see a, a benefit um, in, in, any, in anything that was two-dimensional, any, any, even not just one-dimensional memory lookups, but two-dimensional memory lookups where you're accessing rows and columns. And that's, you know, columns is fast in memory, but rows are slower. And uh, with uh, things like ANSYS and computational fluid dynamics and things like that, it's like a 3D matrix, like 3D particles and points. And there's not, it's a lot harder to predict algorithmically and it's a lot harder to optimize for. And all of a sudden, you know, having gobs of cash really helped with those workloads, which were even more on the spectrum of games than, than games themselves. Because games had a lot more mm-hmm. uh, optimization than just random computational fluid dynamics stuff. So... It's not it, the thing that's the holy grail is very fast, very low latency memory because it's it's one source of truth. With cache, you have the coherency problem, and it's like, do, does this core have you know this core changed something in memory? Did that even make its way back to memory yet from this other core that's accessing memory? It's like, oh, so we have to build this whole coherency mechanism in place, and then CXL is an, another dimension of crazy on top of that, because something somewhere else could have changed something in memory, and it's like, now we need a protocol for dealing with that, and what do we do when, you know, do we, we, have, to, we have to go back in time, you know, Marty McFly style to cor- make a correction and not interrupt the general computation of everything, and so um, there's a lot of hardcore computer science happening around those kinds of problems and a lot of those problems just go away if you can just put everything closer together and have a single source of truth and not not actually cache everything and not actually have 14 copies of mm. whatever the thing is at 17 layers of cache um so you would you'd probably be right if everything lived in like l1 cache and that was all we had but mm-hmm. it's a little more difficult in in practice because of subtleties and nuance and complexity that's kind of what Dave suggested as well as like, I mean, you could do that, but it'd be expensive and that would slow down some things. So really you probably just want like light speed L2 cache and then CXL and then a fast SSD because it's probably not going to be any slower than a giant thing of L3 cache anyways. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's, there's a lot of, and that's why I say, you know, again, arm is maybe a threat here because X86 wasn't super well designed in the beginning and it's been a, 35 40 year compounding problem and you know under the hood it's like oh we got micro code and micro ops and blah 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 and uh you know apple for their m1 although it's just been incremental improvements so far in the m1 but the the success that apple has with the m1 is i think because the software and the hardware are really insanely tightly coupled it's a team working together to do to do that really well and that's the model I think that Intel's going for with one API. It's like, oh, we can mm-hmm. do this and we'll come together and it'll be really, really well. But so far, I'm not seeing really a, a level of success in that execution that rivals Apple's M1, if you will. There's a possibility well, that's the thing for that. Too, is, um, 
Apple's working on server chips. They'll start by using them themselves, but they're working on them and they'll start selling them to other people eventually if they want to. And when you look at AMD's comparisons, and I remember, I think I leaked that about a year ago. And now you're seeing it finally in the public things is they compare their stuff to Apple, not Intel. Yeah. <laughs> because they do see Apple as and and maybe Grace Hopper as the real threat here, yeah. not Intel anymore. And that's that's a weird world to be in when we look at how, where we were just five years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's really not like a whole other dimension you could go down is like the Qualcomm Intel 5G lawsuit and the ARM intellectual property kind of at the center of that. And then what Intel's doing now with 5G and sort of trying to go their own way. And then it was, and, and Apple and how Apple is acting with Qualcomm and Intel modems in their phones is like, there's a, there was a, it was a, it was a level of, uh, uh malfeasance there certainly but uh you know it would have been cheaper for just apple to just buy they should have bought you know qualcomm or if there's no regulatory hurdles so they could get by the regulatory hurdles or some arm company or a combination of them to do all of that it would have it would have been a lot simpler i think looking back they if they knew know now what if they knew then what they know now they probably would have done that but Mm -hmm. too late now well, yeah, I mean, I think I think if Intel knew <laughs> what they know now back then, they would not have spent $7 billion on McAfee, and they would have put all that money into the 10 nanometer node. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's stuff like that that's just, it's like, what are you guys thinking? Who who made this decision and why? This makes no sense. It's like, oh, this paper. The answer is usually Murthy from what I hear. <laughs> He's the one who made that decision, and he doesn't work there anymore, so. Oh, crazy craziness yeah pat gelsinger's got his work cut out for him they really they really i pat gelsinger should make sure that he knows the the netflix accelerator story and that they are poised not to repeat that because mm-hmm. they could be setting themselves up for an unhappy time with their accelerator ploy. yeah i mean people love pat at intel um and like they only say good things for the most part, but they do say maybe he was a little cocky when he took over and thought they would come back faster than they have. <laughs> um, but from what I'm hearing, from what I'm hearing now, he's making the right decisions. It just depends. It's all inertia. Does AMD have the right inertia? Is Intel's inertia working backwards to the point that by the time they move it back up, it, I think it passed the right guy for the job. It's just. I think it's a much scarier thing if Intel doesn't do well over the next few years because I've heard people say, well, maybe Pat isn't, you know, what they needed. But because everyone he says he is, it's like, well, that means that no one's good at it, <laughs> fixing Intel if he's not. Yeah. I don't know, though. Yeah. You know, we're going to find out, I think, within about this is 2024 is do or die for Intel. That's what it's going to be, which means really this year is because everything in 2024 is being finalized this year. Yeah, uh, it's I think Pat Gelsinger is the right person for the job. And he can certainly get Intel there, but you have to see the kind of problems that they had with Sapphire Rapids launch. Um, it takes a long time to make changes that correct those kinds of issues. And I don't know that they have that kind of time left before AMD gets to 50% market share. Mm-hmm. And they don't, that, that there's not ex- exactly, there's, yeah. a, there's not a lot of, they, they pulled out all the stops with, pricing and products and blah 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 there's probably somebody sitting inside amd that says well you know we don't even have to be interested in this market as long as intel is hemorrhaging money here 
we'll just continue to let them hemorrhage money while we focus on this thing over here. Well, that, that I think a lot of people, you know, cause I made a video, I think one of my first videos to get like 50,000 views or something was in 2019 where I said, Intel isn't too big to fail. And I made it so clear at multiple points. I'm not saying they will. I'm not <laughs> saying they will. They got a they lot will. of cash and they, they don't have a lot of debt. <laughs> but the thing is, I didn't think they'd run out of money this soon. And now I'm like sitting in a place where I'm like, they're not going to go out of business, guys. Of course not. But it's like, are they at, it almost feels like they might already be past the singular, the pricing singularity where AMD is making more money for per product and they're so big that they aren't bringing in enough revenue where i'm not saying they'll go out of business but i am genuinely worried now that they're at this like losing thing where they're unavoidably going to become smaller i don't think we're there yet but i think in the next two years we're going to find out if that's possible it's uh i think historians are going to look back at at probably from the late 90s and on with intel as you know we sort of look at xerox and it's like xerox really fumbled because they created the palo alto mm. research lab and they, they employed like 13 people there and then they fired all those people because they didn't want to accelerate the paperless office but those people were like this is an existential threat to xerox and we're gonna we're gonna do this and we we talk about how dumb that was and uh intel was in a position to completely take over mobile computing and the reason that they couldn't is power efficiency. And so they failed to do anything there. Intel was in a position to completely take over mobile and laptop computing. And again, they failed because the power efficiency got to a breaking point with one of their largest partners, Apple. And that was sort of the blood in the water. Like, oh my gosh, something is wrong here. And almost simultaneously, you have AMD nipping at their heels in server, desktop, you know, everything else. And then all of a sudden plucky little AMD with a, a 10th of the resources and, and people are, it's come out with, you know, designs and they, you know, they put an all-star team together to, to come out with all this stuff. And it's like Intel fumbled it again. And then you have mobile eye, which is actually doing pretty good. And, uh, 5g fumbled hardcore and all of these other offshoots, Edison canceled Optane, completely changed the game for storage and latency fumbled dead. Uh, Arc. Uh, the jury's still out on Arc. Uh, AXG's dead. <laughs> we'll see if uh, Arc is, right? <laughs> yeah, and so it's like, again, this is, but see, it, it's mind-blowing because there are aspects of that technology that are legit awesome. There are aspects mm -hmm. of one API that are legit awesome. SPDK in its own right is legit awesome, but fumbles. And so, uh, there, it is an, uh, if you're going to fail, you got to fail fast. And all of these failures yeah. have not failed fast. And that is that is what is going to bleed them dry. Well, and I wonder, and granted, you could point to other things. There's always multiple things you can point to. But when I look at, like, the amount of money AXG wasted them over four, <laughs> yeah. over, well, four years, pretty much, actually. Um, but see, they, just go, they came up with they, things that could have been profitable and awesome. If they had the money to back everything at once. But if they yeah. use that money on everything else, then make arc then do it yeah. do it after this other stuff is winning yeah you know it's like and maybe arc was just like two years too soon <laughs> <laughs> like that's honestly what i'm starting to think um or two years too late they had all the money yeah. it would have been great to start that around broadwell you know when amd was almost out of business that would have been the time to do it well if you want to if you want to take it to a metagame intel fumbled the entire nvidia market cap 
because AI and accelerators for that kind of thing. Because they saw Intel totally saw the writing on the wall with uh, vector accelerators in the Itanium, and mm-hmm. they fumbled it. They fumbled it real bad. And then they were just like, well, I guess we won't do that. And then they did Larrabee. And Larrabee was, was great. Larrabee was an, an, an incredibly insane x86 design. And they looked at what John Carmack did with Doom and Quake. And they built the thing to make John Carmack's brain run insanely fast. The problem is that nobody else had John Carmack's brain. And so it, it, didn't, it didn't help anybody except John Carmack. And so it wasn't adopted by anybody. Again, it's like, oh, just call me fumbles. But it was, I mean, it was like Larby was legit incredible. But you have to have John Carmack's intelligence in order to appreciate how insanely incredible it was. And so no, nobody wanted to touch it with a 10 foot pole. Maybe rightly so, because it was different than everything else. It was where are you going to hire people that have experience working on that thing, given that it wasn't the first mover in the industry? But Intel could have been the first mover. For that kind of thing, Intel could have been the first mover for AI. They could have been the first mover for for uh, foundries that are uh, power focused or power first for mobile and everything else. Oh, I think they might be. That's the funny thing I'm learning is if there's one thing that may survive, it's their foundries, actually. <laughs> and, and that's what's so interesting here is like. I mean, it, it will be truly interesting if in like five years we have like Intel 12A and it's making Zen 7 and I don't know what comes <laughs> after Diamond Rapids, right? But, you know, something like that. And that, I mean, that I think Pat at least knows that's such an asset to them to have this capacity and capacity in the West as well that he's thrown all of the money at it. Uh, but... Now that the foundry's working, where are the designs, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's, it's the, the aforementioned tooling is missing because you want to be able to submit a design and be reasonably confident that the design has been simulated to the nth degree and is really awesome and ready to go. And they, that, that wasn't even how the process worked with the foundry as we were, we were kind of discussing. And so that change is also probably going to hurt their inertia in the short term. But in the long term, it'll, it'll be really good for them because that's how everybody else does it. Again, these two years, <laughs> if they get through these two years, I Intel has so many things they're working on that are awesome. It's just like, just cut the things you can that you need to because you it, you got to get through these two years, though, because it's, it's looking scary. And I, I'm just so, again, I'm so surprised that we got to this place though, where I can actually see it, you know, like uh, the writing on the wall, like it, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It's interesting times. Um, and I'm excited to talk these interesting times with you every time you come on broken Silicon, but I've, t- I've had you for over two hours. I-, I think this is a good place to wrap up kind of this future looking conversation we just had. Is, is there anything else you wanted to discuss or you want to say before we wrap this up? No, although um, it has been a very long time since I've seen this much innovation in server and desktop, especially maybe mobile to a lesser extent. But like things are moving real fast in server on the hardware and the software side and accelerators. And there's a lot of people looking at stuff, a lot more people than historically there's ever been looking at stuff and saying, gosh, we could probably do this thing to make this faster with networking and communications and accelerators and DPUs and and. That's really, really exciting because all of those things will sort of change the future. And also AI is probably 
like some sort of AI revolution is probably right around the corner. It's probably going to come way sooner than than anybody expects. And I'm not saying like chat GPT is going to become sentient or anything. I don't think that's <laughs> no, no, I don't think that's like, going to happen. But look at the AI engine in Phoenix. You could see a thing where like not every task, but half of the tasks you do on your laptop, it uses a neural engine to use zero energy to get it done. And that doubles your battery life, depending on what you do. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, the future. Uh, the future from a computing and technology standpoint looks really amazing, even if macroeconomic conditions and joblessness and everything else, that doesn't look good. But I've never seen this much innovation in the space, and that's really exciting. I know, and that's that's why I think anytime you see people disappointed with a product launch from any of these companies, I, I still go... <laughs> because uh, every now and then I'll see a comment like, well, this is such a weak uplift. I'm like, well, okay, first of all, <laughs> In this my day, is not a... We were lucky to have working floating point. <laughs> it's like, no, this uplift is huge, though. Like, it's... it's and Even with these companies fumbling every now and then, let's not forget that we've gotten used to them because of chiplets, because of actually writing good software now sometimes because of accelerators. We are still seeing... We didn't get like 10% boost every year just yeah. five years ago. And now we're we're getting way above that, even if they fall short sometimes. So. Yeah, 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 it really is. It really is not. And and that we're able to get these kinds of gains as such small lithographies, because, you know, for the better part of 10 years, everybody's been saying, ah, we're basically at the limit of the laws of physics. And you think, you know, in, in one five billionth of a second, you know, one five gigahertz clock tick, mm-hmm. this light can travel about this far, this distance mm-hmm. between my fingers here. That's one five billionth of a second light can go. Bloop. And that is mind blowing because that's the fastest thing there is. We don't know of anything that's faster than yeah, the speed of light and light. We're getting bottlenecked by that now. <laughs> light can only go this far. And like the silicon and the, the transistor settling time is orders of magnitude worse than that. So like if we can figure out transistor settling time or go to purely optical interconnects, we're going to be in much better shape, but this making things out of silicon, that's, that's a real problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, but again, but we have go this far, right? But what if we then, we do some of the stuff up here, <laughs> you know, with 3D stacking, you know, then we can cut that down a bit more. Was it, was it, uh, I don't know if this is true or not. For some reason, out of the back of my head, I'm sort of remembering that if you took all the, all the wiring out of a modern processor, you could go from the surface of the earth to the moon and back like five or six times, something like that, just in, in one processor. I don't know that, but a crazy thing I heard from John Petty, who was on less than a year ago. He said they don't actually know how many transistors are in graphics cards anymore because they have different IP block teams. And they're like, this is about this many billion. And, <laughs> and then they add it all up. And so when you see like the 4090, whatever it is, right, 60, 70 or something billion transistors, they're like, that's an estimate. These yeah. chips have gotten so co- complicated. They actually don't know how many transistors <laughs> they have. Exactly. Pretty soon it's going to be atoms per transistor. <laughs> yeah. Which is still insane. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a blast. Well, and tell people where they can find you. Oh, yeah. uh, Level one text. You can just Google level one text. You you can find me on Twitter or uh, on YouTube or we have forum.level one level, the number one, T-E-C-H-S dot com. Come hang out, whatever. It's fine. Or don't. It's fine that. Or don't. You know. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, but if they do want to, there will be links in the description for that. And, you know, to everyone else, thanks for listening or watching Broken Silicon. Remember, you can listen, subscribe to us on podcast apps and give us a review in addition to subscribing on YouTube. There's a Patreon that's the last guest questions, gets it early ad free, a bunch of other 
content as well. And uh, yeah, thanks for watching and thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawisdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly possible. Every month, and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong, we love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Muhammad Akwari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Shredbird, Brian Riggleman, Dr. Forbin, Sam Miller, Deke, Josh Law, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Chalmers, Tom Bailey, Greg T. Wanchuk, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valko Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spantum G. Spantum, Jonathan, Lord Starstream, General Drips, Blake, Fagro Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Aziris, Greg Gregory S. Eckert, Dominic Cock, Jake Dude 23. 
Jake Martin, Cameron, Christian Lavoy, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Licky, Lance Bassler, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Jeezy Ziggy, Sarcastro, Stephen Hart, David Sebastian, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanny and Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, AWS Danny, Patrick Groh, Amiable Chief, Brett Summers, Milton, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kundin, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, Mac Daffy, Delmaine Peterson, James Anderson, Marshall Pierce, Mark Raidmaker, Dave Schultz, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithiel, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan Kolatic, Henry Zhang, Judson N, Keith Moore, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D31337, Antics, Joseph Kelly, Noah Nicoella, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jim Ferriera, Mayor, Keith Moore, Kita, Abdul, Kadar, Precision, DNA Tech, Radiant Technologies Group, John O'Shea, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Reginald Ari, Slushpot, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, GSMMH, Neith Razink, Mean Dean, Cal, Andre Jacques, Game and Sense Reagan, Jeff Seller, Jordan Simkovic, Loophole 35, Winstar, William Welpy, James I, Raider, Corey Leonard, Nell Lima, John Shin, Justin Bustle, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Shea, William Leaked, Corey Chappell, Evan Dingle, C2, John Iverson, Samuel Park, Aaron, The Eternal Dreamers, Jansen and Gima, Mark Central, Derek Lambine, Michael Fours and Pours, Him, Sagung, RB Racer, Space Channel 5, Jay Terrino, and of course, thank you to Zahara for the music. <laughs>